everybody and welcome to the northeast scene podcast this is keith and tommy how's everybody doing now we've been taking a vacation away from the northeast but now we're back to talk to the master of the four strings and new york city legend brad truax i'm blushing a master (laughs) <laughs> wow that seems like it's not cool to say anymore master or something oh yeah no it's like they they got rid of it when you you list homes in certain areas they will no longer they'll say primary bedroom right primary of the four strings yeah and new york city legend <laughs> right <laughs> brad truax oh man so brad thank you so much for joining us today oh thanks i'm gonna start with an easy question how are you doing today today i'm doing today i'm doing all right um yeah, I, I mean, you know, time's so psychedelic right now. Everything's so blurry. So it's like I can't really tell, you know, what happened two hours ago or two days ago anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, but to get current, I just came back from getting another antibody test. And this definitely kind of fits in. This test fits in because um, there's talk of uh, playing music with people. Oh, wow. And... I mean, at least like, you know, dipping our feet back in the water, going to the jam space. And, you know, because we got to be safe, you know, it was like, well, where's everyone stands on their, their testing updates? So did you get the results of your test? Um, no, I just did it today. I mean, okay. I got one like a month ago and I'm negative on everything. But today is just so that we can all convene on Friday before we make an appointment to jam and say, you know, who's positive, who's negative, and whatever. You know, I guess it's like the thing, the new reality we're supposed to do now, you know? Yeah, yeah, a lot of precautions to to take. And it's it's strange. I was sitting on my couch earlier today, and I saw, like, my winter scarves just sitting on a chair next to me, and I was like, the fuck happened? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it was winter, everything was normal, and then all of a sudden it's it's July, yeah. And I've 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 been indoors like a majority of that time. It's it's very very strange. So in fact, I mean, so this these group of guys that I'm will potentially play with this weekend possibly um, was like a new project, and we're kind of unnamed. But mm-hmm. the last thing I did we did before quarantine is like we played a show at union pool okay Mm -hmm. so that was like march 11th and for a lot of people not not that a lot of people attended that show but it was you know a fair a nice crowd but that was sort of like the last event that everyone had went to in that particular little scene you know um and that was the last time like i played with people music with people and live for that matter too um and then, you know, so the guy that I went to go get the test with is a guitarist for that band. He, uh, you know, we were like, oh, March 11th. That seems like three fucking years ago. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like, it was only like a few months ago, but it, like, w- w- yeah. Like, the beginning of this thing seems such a long time ago at this 
point. It really does. And so, so much has changed. So how, how has your life been affected? I mean, you're, you're in music, you are in the scene. So what, like, what did you have going on that had to be canceled and what, what changed for you? So, I mean, so the, the primary band that I play with, uh, is Interpol, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Keith, I think you know that or whatever. Um, yes. And we had literally, um, luckily, fortunately, we had wrapped up like almost two years of touring, like 2018 and 19, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so that wasn't like affected. We were done, you know, we were off. And then, uh, this year I, you know, speaking of this band that played union pool, like it was like, I was starting a bunch of new creative projects. Uh, this unnamed band included, uh, and another, just a bunch of new projects, but one of the projects, um, that I was going to be doing was, um, and we had toured scheduled in mm -hmm. April. I'm actually, I'm supposed to be on tour right now. I think in like LA or San Francisco tonight, <laughs> um, <laughs> was with, um, Steve Malcolmus from pavement. Um, mm -hmm. oh, he, yeah. he, and he, and, and Steve Malcolmus and the Jicks, and he put together this new band for this record that had just come out in the beginning of this year. Was that a traditional techniques? Yes. Okay. Yes. So he put together the traditional techniques band, which was like very exciting. I mean, exciting for me because like I love him. I love his music and, you right. know, and friends. And then another friend from New York, this gentleman, Matt Sweeney, who's kind of a legendary guitarist, has played from everyone from like Johnny Cash to current 93 or, you know, what I mean, like just an amazing guy. And then like uh, uh, this, uh, like two other guys from Portland. Um, but it just, it was like super, super, super fun band, super psyched to be doing it. But yeah, that got like, you know, I think the first tour obviously wasn't going to happen in April, you know? Right. <clears throat> um, so yeah. And then we, yeah. So everything I had this year was just flushed down the toilet, you know? Yeah. So do you have any other, do you, do you do music primarily or do you have other jobs you work like when you're not touring and playing? Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, so the whole live music thing obviously deeply affects me for like playing with bands in mm -hmm. some form or another, you know, but there are like, you know, pretty much, I mean, for a very long time now, particularly like the last like 16 years, it's like I'm either playing in band or I'm like, you know, and there was a, there was a while where I was like tour managing and like, you know, kind of road crew stuff. And then, um, even the last several years, I'd started working at a music venue in between when I wasn't like very randomly when I wasn't on tour, you know, mm -hmm. so, which venue, uh, like the bat, like the Brooklyn steel or terminal five. Ah, okay. Um, like, so those, those kind of places, and it was just like a very, like, you know, once or twice a week in between tour kind of thing, you know, mm -hmm. um, it really depended whenever I was available and they needed somebody. Um, but so like everything I do for a living <laughs> revolves yeah. around live music. You know what I mean? Um, oh man, uh, yeah. um, and it's just like, it's like, yeah, it's heartbreaking because it was almost like, I just remember, you know, um, like at the beginning of this thing in March, just like, you know, I knew a lot of bands on tour who tours just started disintegrating while they were on the road. You know, yes. so it was so in, at least in our world, it was the first thing I could see that was like, oh, shit, like what's going on? 
you know, like the sort of it seemed like music and bars and venues were like the first thing to go, you know, right. like live events. Um, and then just the, you know, the very sad, unfortunate thing is like, it'll be the last thing to return. I mean, the live music, entertainment, sports, you know, anything that, you know, will be the very last thing to return. You know, it, it is basically based on like, you know, we're talking like vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, so anyone that has their, you know, and you just see it as, I mean, it's like almost like, you know, and I think all of us were in denial just because it was so obviously unprecedented, you know, like this is, I mean, I, you know, I've like been touring for decades and like, you know, I've toured through like political upheavals and disastrous weather situations and just, you know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. nothing has ever stopped people going out there and playing live (laughs) you know yeah i continued on as normal when this thing was first starting i didn't understand it at all and i've never experienced anything like it so i was just pressing on like normal and then when they announced the bar and restaurant closings and everything in new york city then i was like oh that that's when it kind of became real for me and i was like i better take some more precautions here yeah so brad now there's a lot we know about each other but there's also a lot we don't. So I was really looking forward to this conversation. So I'm going to take us way back. Now, tell us about where you grew up. So um, I was born in Gainesville, Florida. Um, mm-hmm. And then I basically, like formative years going to school, um, um, moved uh, to basically central Florida, like Tampa, St. Petersburg. So tech, like, you know, Tampa, St. Petersburg is, is it's called like the Bay area where it's like Tampa would be San Francisco and St. Petersburg would be like Oakland, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a bridge that separates the two. So I kind of grew up on the St. Petersburg side and eventually moved to the big city of Tampa. <laughs> 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 um, um, but yeah, like, uh, in, in, it's really easy to shit talk Florida and I, you know, I, I have my whole life, you know, (laughs) um, because it is, it's, I mean, and now that I've actually like traveled a lot around the world in the United States and have been to every state, it really is the most fucked up state in the United States. (laughs) Really? You know what I mean? Like I definitely have proof now, like, you know, um, that it is. It's just such a wild. But also now, like now that I'm older, I'm like I, I'm like fond of like how fucked up it is. Not in yeah. a political way. Don't get me wrong. You know, or currently what we're dealing with, and you know, <clears throat> um, but just as like a wow, like I can't believe I escaped. You know. Yeah, there's all. Yeah, I mean, you always see the memes like Florida man, of or course. like whenever yeah. something crazy happens, yeah. it's just but it's always very Florida. True. That is yeah. very true. I mean, it's yeah. a very true. That's what makes it so psychedelic. You know, it's charming in that yeah. sense. Yeah, there's like a like a Florida noir. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> Florida noir. I yeah. love that. That's like a bloodline on Netflix. Right, they're the yeah. they're the trailblazers of a Florida noir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Florida man, and just yeah, I don't know. So you're you're growing up in the Tampa area. What what is your intro to music? Have you always been a music fan? And like, what was what was like the scene you that you broke into it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, so I guess we're talking like sort of you know eighties ish, you know, like middle school, high school, like late eighties, mm-hmm. um, and like you know, and that that's the thing. It's like 
it, oh God, I don't want to turn this into like a shit talking Florida situation, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, sort of like where we grew up, I mean, it was like a real cultural void. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like yeah. I, you know, it wasn't like, there wasn't like a big city. There wasn't like a scene, uh, no art museums to visit or anything. Well, here's okay. So here's like, I mean, here's the ironic thing with that specifically art museum is that, um, and this is actually goes along to like sort of my formative like dis- like really discovering music, you know, um, and like sort of the music I was attracted to. I guess like growing up sort of in that MTV like first phase of MTV generation is like you had like stuff like Duran Duran or David Bowie, you know, sort of like the English art rock thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like almost like teeny bopper music at the time or whatever, um, you know, which then like led down these sort of rabbit holes because you would like obsessively like read a magazine article and they would mention like Brian Eno or punk rock or Roxy music or, you know what I mean? Like the, you know, the clash or something. Mm-hmm. So you just follow those threads. Um, and, like, I was sort of gravitating more towards, like, uh, I don't know, just, the, you know, like, I guess it was, like, sort of new wave goth punk rock, like, art, I guess we would call it, like, and, then, and there wasn't, like, genres really defined at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, like, the closest thing you would call that music at the time was, like, progressive or alternative yeah. or, like, the import section, you know, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I like, remember that, yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah, but, like, new wave punk rock, you know. And then like goth, but like it just, it all sort of like was this very like artful music, you know, like alien sort of artful music. Um, But just going back to the art museum thing, it's like in the cultural void of living in a place where where we grew up in a small town um, was that I was in the library at high school one time and I was like flipping through this, these art books. And I came across this like pretty psychedelic painting like, and it turned out it was like Salvador Dali, this like hallucinogenic pterodor thing, right? And it mm-hmm. was, and it was like one of those things of like, you know, my mind was already going down this sort of rabbit hole of being different and feeling alien and connecting with sort of these like artful things and like, you know, kind of seeing for the first time in my school library, this, you know, which is now that movement was known as surrealism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, you know, kind of really cracked open. Um and then, as it turns out, months later, I live in St. Petersburg, Florida, where there is a fucking Salvador Dali museum. Da- museum. So this is what I was going to bring up. So this is such an, like, an aside. But um, so my father was friends with, uh, grew up with uh, Lee Ving. From yeah, the, fear. from yeah. Sphere, mm-hmm. and we were uh, we chat on the phone fairly often, and we were talking the other night, and we started talking about art, and he goes, "You ever checked out that Dali museum?" I'm like, "No, I've never been to Spain." He goes, "It's in fucking St. Petersburg, man." Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, which which honestly is very fucking surreal. I mean, can yeah, I, cur- I think- can I can I curse on here? I'm sorry. I don't know. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. oh yeah, no, 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 okay. for sure. Okay. Um, which is just a surreal thing because, like, St. <laughs> Petersburg is, like, where your grandparents are from. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, like, so sleepy and so sunny, you know? And, like, you know, like, there really was, like, this culture void. But, like, right there, you know, 20 minutes from where I live is the fucking Salvador Dali Museum, which had that very piece that I discovered in that book in the library in high school, you know? Wow. Like, hanging, like, larger than life, you know? Yeah. So, whatever. I mean, you know, I was very... 
reliance on the uh like there was this community radio station in tampa that broadcasted out of tampa and of course at night they would have like the alternative based music programming you know yes yeah and you know you and and i you know obviously i would record on my cassette the whole you know radio show you know Mm -hmm. And it was just like so eclectic and diverse where you would hear like, you know, like the fall or like the replacements back to back. And then like, you know, like the sort of English post-punk stuff like PIL and all of these things and like REM, you know, like arts, you know, REM were, were just like this small indie band from like Athens, Georgia, you know, yeah, yeah. So, but like, or like the Minutemen and just all of these or dinosaur junior and just like sort of all these real like eclectic and everyone sounded so different from one another, but it was all sort of lumped into this sort of like left of center, you know, radio shows that would, that you can like hopefully fully tune into, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that's really what, like, that's really kind of, and then, you know, of course we all like, you know, sort of like middle school was like, you know, the Ramones, the clash and like deep, like Devo was always from as early as I can remember, like Devo was such like a huge, they were like, they always, that's the thing that really sort of like, like inspired me the most from like, you know, cause it was like being a kid growing up in this sort of like classic rock world where it was like kiss and sticks and pink Floyd, you know, and then Devo comes along and I feel like they really sort of speak to like the youth, like the adolescents cause they were so like playful, you know, but then once you sort of like discover all this, the, like the roots of punk rock and all this stuff, you kind of go back to them and be like, Whoa, they were so punk, you know? I mean, yeah. they were like quirky, you know, quirky as fuck, but they were also, yeah, they were just a huge sort of like, like I want to, I want to hang out with these guys, <laughs> you know. Like I want to play with these guys. I always gravitated towards. I, I I grew up skateboarding, and I always remember if anybody had Devo stickers or Devo T-shirts, I was always like, I gotta hang out with this dude. They're yeah. all, like they're, they're always like into something weird, or they're gonna turn you on to something cool that you've never heard of. And it's yeah. so funny now. It's like uh, I have three young kids. And I, we watch a lot of uh, movies and cartoons and stuff like that. And there's a fair amount of things that I see like, oh, what's the comp- you know, who composed this? And it's like, it's Mark Mothersbaugh. And I'm like, that's right. the fucking dude from Devo. Jesus. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, man. And then it was just like, of course, like any small town. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry I'm old. So it was like I have to go back to like, you know, there was no internet. You know, there's no yeah. social media. <laughs> like, you know, it's like basically you had to rely on like, going to school and seeing somebody wearing like a t-shirt or like a sticker on their back of their on their notebook or something you know we're reading a thanks list yeah we we grew up pre-internet too until we were about like i don't know 15 14 somewhere yeah like later we had like uh aol online i remember like june like sophomore or junior year high so like 97 98 is that's when we started getting it like fairly often so yeah it was just sort of like seeking out like the you know, the like-minded person in school, you know? And it's just funny because just as far as like, um, you know, I think like, I mean, maybe you guys can identify, but it was like you found that person and you started a band even before you even picked up an instrument. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you're like, we're in a band, you know? Yeah, and- in, in, in eighth grade, I had a band. But we we never practiced or like played or did anything. But we had a band and we had a name, 
Yep. And that was that was it. Yeah. Oh no, we yeah. had the band names, we had the album titles, we had the song titles, but we never yeah. picked up a goddamn. <laughs> uh, maybe we didn't even own an instrument. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> and then yeah, then like after you talk about it for months in the band, and you've like you know drew the album covers, you know, and then eventually like on the weekend your your friend would come over and like. Yeah, we'd have like some shitty acoustic guitar and like a string, like a one string bass or something, you know? Yeah. And then you start writing, you know? You start writing the songs on the record or whatever. So, what was the very first band you ever did? Like one that actually played a show? Oh, man. Um, I know, I feel like I should remember this, but like it's <laughs> like dust, it's like dusting off some photo album. Um, it was with my friend, uh, my friend Julian Costner and he, we started this band called Miss America. And mm-hmm. I think he was like, he, and he was like an anomaly because he had moved from New York city to St. Petersburg, Florida and ended up in my high school, <laughs> who, you know, who does that? Well, that's the, th- you know, people who are escaping New York city, like, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Florida's yeah. filled with people who are just like, we got to get the fuck out of here and go into hiding, Florida, right. you know, whatever. Florida yeah. and Alaska. Yeah. Totally. Um, <laughs> So I guess his parents did, but like, you know, he was like as cultured as one could be, you know, like he was like turning us on to all sorts of crazy stuff, you know, like in the New York thing that we had just know, like more of the avant-garde stuff. Like, you know, he's like, you ever heard this guy, John Zorn or, you know, like, uh, you know, Sun Ra or whatever, just crazy stuff. But he actually was the guy that the first one of us that got a four track cassette player Ah. and he would just like. Yeah, that was like a real revelation. But the, but he recorded a bunch of um, like weird songs, and we learned them and played live. I think in his front yard or something. You know, I think we just put on our own show. We were too young to like go to a venue or something. I yeah. When you were young, like the person who had the four track yielded a lot of power. Oh, <laughs> dude, like, no, he was a creative genius, man. It was like yeah. it was like he him is like basically the equivalent of like your buddy who owns like a massive studio now. Exactly. You know? yeah. like, this guy has a four track. Oh my god. So was Home the the first like pretty significant band you were in and and they ended up taking you to New York City. Too, yeah. Right? Yeah. So Home would basically um that started sort of right after I graduated high school. And then that was like full on, like, you know, the monkeys, like we all just like lived together, you know, <laughs> like lived in a roach infested house in Tampa, Florida, like moved to the city and yeah, started playing shows. So like, yeah, so home, home was like the first, like, like, fuck, we're doing this. We're recording. We're, you know, making records. We're playing shows, you know, we mm-hmm. got, we got we were, I think we were like one of the first, uh, you know, first, I don't even know what you call it, but it was like definitely like the 90s and like, you know, there was labels had money to throw around and like it was like, kind of, you know, post like Nevermind and even like speaking of like pavement, you know, it was like everyone wanted like some sort of band to fill the roster. So there was like, you know, so but we, we were kind of like the first like, I guess you would call like indie rock band out of our area to get like get a record deal you know Mm. on the heels of that stuff you know just people were looking for like the indie band in the small town you know yeah so around what year was that so that was 91 i graduated high school and i think we had a record deal in like 94 
you know. Okay. So that must have been a big deal because I've I've never been in a band that's actually been signed. But to be that young and to be in a band that's doing things and to have like a record deal, it, it must. I mean, that was like my dream. That must have felt pretty great at the time. Well, yeah, except we were total fuck ups. I mean, like, <laughs> how so? Um, you know, well, a we were just like. I mean, the thing that really bonded us outside of like the music was, uh, you know, we smoked a lot of weed, you know? Yeah. Like we were just stoned and young and like, you know, drinking and like, you know, we all kind of had our own different thing. Like I was really hanging on to sort of like the, the punk DIY, uh, indie sort of ethics because also during that time there was like a bunch of like, you know, bands starting their own labels and putting out seven inches in their own records and, you know, so I was mm-hmm. very much like, that's the world that I want to be a part of, you know. Um, yeah. And like, you know, and like, so, so we sort of grappled with like the, you know, we got to take money from this label and, you know. Um, but I, I also I also think we were like young where we just didn't really take it seriously. You know what I mean? Like we just didn't really like, we were just like, this could all end tomorrow. Or, you know, I, I think also because at the, you know, we were a band and, like we loved each other, but you know, before it's almost like you kind of hear these stories where, like, you know, bands almost break up before they get their first record deal. You know, yeah. like we were definitely like at that point of like, you know, we were just too fucked up. <laughs> <You know? laughs> some of us had mental issues, some of us had <laughs> drug issues. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, so we were about to collapse, and then um, that thing got offered to us. But like to our credit. We did, I mean, and granted, at the time, it wasn't a lot of money, you know what I mean? And it was like, it was this label called Relativity Records, mm-hmm. and they were like a, a like a offshoot of like Sony Records or something, you know, like a, some major label offshoot. And I think their biggest sort of like thing at the time was like Steve Vai or Yngwie Malkstein or something like that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but they were like, but they had, you know, some A&R guy who worked for like CMJ who was like looking for like the next pavement or, you know, Sebado or fucking, you know, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, you know, I mean, up in that, up in that point we were, we were fully like, you know, we'd always had recorded ourselves, like whether it was like two track, four track, you know, like we were very like DIY, um and just sort of did everything ourselves and like you know put out our own seven inches and all you know sort of following that trajectory just because like a we didn't have any money and you know and it was actually fun like we just had such a good time like recording ourselves and like you know um because i think we'd had gone into like a professional recording studio once and it just sounded like crap you know like it sounded (laughs) so flat and like the guy whoever we paid to do it he's just the jabroni that worked there you know like he didn't (laughs) understand like where we were coming from, you know, or, um, cause we weren't like, uh, I mean, that's the thing, like coming out of like the Tampa, I guess, scene, if you will, you know, and I mean, I hope you guys know that like Tampa is like where death metal comes from, you know, like I, that's, like, I didn't want to bring that up. Oh, please do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm a super, so like I, I, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, but when I was younger, when I was like 16, I was like, dude, I'm fucking moving to Florida and I'm starting a band and I'm going to fucking be like atheist or fucking death. Like I have to go there, like obituaries from there, morbid angels from deicide, uh, fucking cynic, all that shit. Like I I was, especially death and cynic. I was so obsessed with it because when I heard 
things like Cannibal Corpse, I'm like, okay, that's straightforward and brutal. I get it. Yeah. When I heard Cynic and Atheist and fucking, especially Death, when I heard uh, like a couple, I remember hearing records going, this is unlike anything I've ever heard. And not only is it unlike anything I've ever heard, their musicianship is just fucking out of this world. They're just great. Chuck Schulander is one of those people I still listen to stuff and I go, that's a fucking great riff. I don't care if you fucking wrote that in 1989 or 2020. Like, that's fucking so – it's just there, – there's something magical about it. And that I like it's it's the reverse of what you wanted. You're like, I got to get out of here. And I'm like, I got to fucking go there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's sunny all the time and hot. It's fucking like, – yeah. we were like we lived through blizzards up here. It's yeah. That's, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> I didn't realize all those bands were from – from that area i oh, knew yeah. death was from oh, florida yeah. but so it makes sense that a big metalcore scene broke out as well there yeah. was another band called uh nocturnus that i fucking i went off on them for a while but atheist nocturnus massacre was from far, uh florida i think mm-hmm. like a, a ton of those bands dude i was just so hyped on it yeah so i mean yeah so there was all those bands from there but then like because of this one recording studio in Tampa called Morrisound, and there, there was this guy, um, Scott. Oh, I'm forgetting his name. Anyway, there were bands from all, like death metal bands from all over the world, like Sweden, you know, that would come all the way to Tampa, Florida, just to record at this studio where all the death metal bands would record at, you know. Um, but so yeah, so like there was, and I, and I have like a, you know, like. So there was that kind of thing going on, which we weren't affiliated with for obvious reasons, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like we just were like, you know, like dorky indie wimps, you know. <laughs> um, but like the scene that we would have, like the scene that like, you know, before we got signed or whatever, the, like the show, mostly the shows that we were doing in Florida and around Florida. Um, and that's, in, you know, sort of going back to that thing of, like, how I grew up on music with, like, sort of all these bands that were under the umbrella of, like, say, punk or indie or new wave. Like, you know, they, you know, like, like you take SST records, for example, you know, yeah. like, run by Black Flag, you know, like, mm-hmm. the hardcore band of all time, you know. And then, like, but all the bands that they had signed SST, like, you know, like uh, the Minutemen or Meat Puppets or Sonic Youth or Dinosaur Jr. or Saccharine Trust, they all sounded so unique, you know, completely just different from one another, you know? Um, and in Florida, there wasn't like a scene of like, I mean, outside of death metal, you know, or like hair metal or whatever, where like these bands definitely all sounded similar and looked similar. Like, mm-hmm. sort of outside of that, like, the bands that we would play with, like, every band sort of had this, like, this thing that they did that was unique that set them apart from everywhere else. So, like, in the early days of us doing shows, we would be playing with sort of, like, these punk bands um, that were just, like, uh, you know, and, and they were, uh, it wasn't metal at all. It was, like, like they're, you know, you guys, you guys ever heard the band Ass Suck? Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, dude, So, like, yeah. you know, they were, like... <laughs> A grindcore band, and they were the yes. one of the best, if you ask me, ever. Steve like, Heritage, yes, yeah, Steve. They're like the grindcore yeah. band. Yeah, yeah. they're Steve. fucking so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, like one of our, our drummer for home, he he dated uh, Paul, the singer's sister. You know, and so I think we played a show with them, and there was this other band that was sort of the opposite of Asa called Scrog, and they were just like this very like slow, slowcore, like Swan Sludge thing. Oh, okay. You know. 
uh, and just and then like yeah, it was just like all these sort of really eclectic, different sounding bands. But because we were like the only bands in towns, we would always end up playing shows together. You know, right? And right. and it's funny because we had like really like nothing musically in common except like I remember talking to one of the guys and Asuk and like you know the only band that we both like we're obsessed with that we could find common ground was like the cocktoo twins, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which was, I still like love that band to this day. Anyway. I think that happens a lot with, with burgeoning scenes, like with ours, there was, you know, there was a lot of crossover emo bands, hardcore bands, metalcore bands, uh, random ska bands, like everyone yeah. played together cause we all lived together yeah. and you know, we, we, you know, we knew the same promoters and we, they'd all get thrown on the show together. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So that was cool that we, you know, were able to like, even though we didn't sound or like look like any of these people, we all got to like play shows together, you know, except for the death metal band. The funny death metal story that I have is that, um, like, I, I really loved that stuff, you know, I just like on a technical level and how like dark it was. And that's the thing, like, you know, Florida, Sunshine State, like sort of like where the fountain of youth supposedly is and people go to retire. Yeah. Like, it really produces some of the darkest fucking bands ever, you know? Like, <laughs> like to the extreme, and death metal being one of them. But, like, um, but I remember, so, like, we, we, all of us would practice at this, like, um, you know, basically these storage units in, like, the hot Florida sun. You know what I mean? Like, no air conditioner or whatever, and everyone would have to, like, leave their doors open you know, so all the bands practiced. It didn't matter what kind of band, but like all the death metal bands practiced where we practice. And I'm always kicking myself to this day because like the thing with the death metal bands is the drummers would show up hours early to warm up, you know? Oh, yeah. So it, it, Wait, a drummer showed up early? I know, <laughs> this right? Is, no, no, this no. is unprecedented. They, they literally, because of how technical that stuff is, they had to like warm up. You know what I mean? Wow. Like they had to like, like at least be warmed up. And so at any given point in the day or night, when you walked, w- walked through the storage unit, you could hear literally, you know, 10 to 15 death metal drummers playing solo <laughs> echoing off. And I just thought it was like the best. I like really so kicking myself for never recording it. Cause I would have released a record of it like, you know, years ago. That's amazing. Whatever. But it was such yeah. like a phenomenal sound of like, you know, 15 death metal drummers playing solo by themselves at the same time. You know? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So uh, how does home end up making the decision to relocate to New York City? That's a big move from Tampa. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, I mean, essentially it's like a geographic. I mean, like, uh, I mean, at that point we'd been touring a lot. We'd been putting out records and like we you know it always sort of like you know new york kind of became this like second home for us because like the labels were there and that we were on and like just a lot of our friends and um like it just and and, i mean but the geographical part was that it was the exact opposite of florida like florida i mean at that time particularly in the 90s was just sort of like a dead end you know what i mean like it just Mm -hmm. sort of just really felt like that you know i mean uh you know, just like drug problems and people dying and, you know, just like yeah. felt very bleak and like just, yeah, it was like a geographic of just like, we got to get the hell out of here, you know? Right. Um, and so I was the first one to move up here. Then the other uh, two members 
followed. Um, and what year was it when you moved up there? Like 96, I think. Yeah, I was like, yeah, 96, yeah. So I, I always romanticize uh, older New York, as many do. So, I mean, was it just a complete trip back in the day? Because I didn't get here till like 2012. So I, I feel like I always missed out on the best, a.k.a. the most irresponsible days in New York City. Yeah, I mean... I mean, that's the thing. I I feel like kind of mid-90s is, was almost like the beginning of the end for what, right. you know, of like... Because that's the whole Giuliani and cracking exactly, down on all the clubs exactly. and everything. So, you know, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. So when you moved here, like, you know, it was sort of known that you don't go past Avenue B, you know? Yeah. Like, or enter at your own risk, you know? Yeah. Um, Which is funny because I live part of the time on Avenue C now. Yeah. And, yeah. You know. <laughs> um, I mean, unless you were specifically looking for trouble, you know, or yes. like score drugs or something, you know, or, get, or get I was up. I was often doing both of those. So yeah. I, I always say, like, uh, I'm glad I didn't get to New York earlier because I probably might be dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, um, <laughs> But, like, yeah, I mean, the first job I got in New York and, like, worked out forever was on St. Mark's at Kim's video, you know? And, like, mm-hmm. um, and so that kind of, like, St. Mark's scene was still happening with, like, the rockers and the junkies and the punk rockers and, you know what I mean? Like, sort mm-hmm. of, like, and then, the you know, you had Coney Island High across the street, you had the Continental around the corner, then CBGBs and then Brownies and Avenue A. Like, there was just, like, all these, you know, music venues, like, every night that had... 10 bands playing you know yeah um so yeah it was, it was it was totally fucking exciting you know and then obviously just the city that never sleeps right you know oh yeah um just always some action so yeah um so it's still you know it still had its grit but it was also like you know the beginning of the end <laughs> so i'm glad yeah. i caught the tail end of what i could of that sort of you know the, I the think grit. a lot of the grit is still there. It's just hidden. Cause exactly. when I, I walk around the East village a lot and, and lower East side and you, you still see it. And even like around times square and stuff, like I was going to meet my friend at port authority before and, and you know, just randomly like guys are like trying to pull me aside to sell me drugs and all this. Stuff. And I'm like, wow, this still goes on. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I mean, it's there. I mean, I, you know, I always get a kick out of like every now and then going through Tompkins square, you know, cause it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, even though it's an expensive neighborhood, there's still like the crusties and the junkies and the rats and like, you know, like there still is like people holding on, you know? Absolutely. Uh, and, and I, and I love it. You know, I, I totally love it. Um, but I mean, like, but you can take St. Mark's, that block between um, 3rd Avenue and 2nd Avenue, you know, and I, it's like, I wish I just had like a time lapse of like, from the period of when I moved there to like what it is now, you know what I mean? Because it was yeah. just like, I mean, even going back to like the 60s, you know, like it was just like sort of like cutting edge block, you know, of like artists, musicians, junkies, you know, poets, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and then like the punk rock, you know, CBGB's era thing and suicide and, you know, just all of the, you know, gym spa, like all of these things. And then, you know, you go, you go down it today and like what, it's like yogurt and like, you know, sushi yeah. and, you know what I mean? Like, 
I don't know. It's like that whole thing has been erased. So you're you're in New York City with home. It sounds like you're pretty well acclimated because you have friends there and mm-hmm. labels. And yeah. are you are you touring nationally at this point? Yeah, yeah. You're working at Kim's. Working at that Kim's. was like a what was that was like a video slash record. Yeah, store? I worked in the record department. It was like known for the videos, but then they, yeah, it was like kind of okay. like the. It's like where like the other music people owners all worked at Kim's, you know. Then they left yeah. Kim's and opened other music, and yeah, it's that you know, and it's funny because like Kim's was almost like the McDonald's for like you know New York art, music, movie people. You know, like everyone yeah. got a job at Kim's eventually, you know, like, <laughs> or got fired from there, you know, stole from there, quit from there, you know, whatever. So when does home come to an end? Home actually never came to an end. I mean, that's the funny thing. We, I mean, we had, we never broke up, you know, and in fact, like, you know, cause we're like lifelong friends, you know, uh, and we just never called it a day. And like, I, we even had, we, you know, we get together every few years and record something and release a record. And I think we just released one earlier this year that we had recorded two years ago. Uh, so we never broke up. But we just became a inactive, non-functioning band. You know, we're now we're just like friends doing it for fun. You know, because we like Do you ever play out still? No, we barely played a show. Okay. I think the last time we played a show was like right after David Bowie died, um, uh. and that was like a tribute. And that sort of gave us the idea to like record all this music. And you know, it's just it's very like guerrilla style friend friend vibe. But we never we never stopped. You know. Um, right. which is kind of amazing. Like, yeah. Cause that would make us like, you know, we've been a band since 91. So however old we are, you know, almost like 30 years old or something's crazy. <laughs> wow. uh, um, but we just became inactive and I think a lot of, you know, people moved away, people moved out of New York, people got married, people had kids, you know? Um, and I was the only fuck up who was just going to play music. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm always curious about people's experience because for me, I all, all I wanted so bad was to be in a band. Like I thought it would be the answer to all my problems, and um, you know, everyone I knew was in a band, and it, it's, it's just it's just what I wanted to do. And I struggled so hard mm-hmm. to to even get into one. And for some people, a lot of people I talk to, like it's just what they do, and they're like they don't really think about it. They're like, yeah, I just playing bands that's it so was was that kind of the how it was for you or did you ever think like oh i'm gonna try to like go to college or anything like that no i mean i you know to be honest with you i yeah i never had a plan b you know like uh and i think that's i think you know it's funny because it's like i think to some i don't don't know maybe this is controversial but i think some degree like creative types people who are in bands and sort of dedicate their life to it uh, you know, are, are on some version of the spectrum, you know, because it's an insane thing to do, you know what I mean? Cause it's yes. like, you are kind of like throwing your life away to a degree, you know what I mean? Of yes. like really dedicating myself. I'm going to bypass the education, the family, the, you know what I mean? Like whatever resemblance of a normal life to just sort of like chase this idea that like, really you have like a 1% chance of you know, being successful at, <laughs> you know? No, I agree with like, you because 
we know all musicians and everyone is special in their in their own yeah. way yeah. And, and myself too like i didn't and i always think like oh i never did it or i didn't try it, but i did because I, I you know i worked crappy jobs i didn't go to college i did i you know i've been in a number of bands i've tried a number of things and you know it, it, I, I was doing it i had sacrifices i lived with like three four people at a time i mean that's this kind of stuff you got to do to get by if right you're pursuing the arts so where you're a young man living in New York City, you're playing in home. What, like, what are some of the other bands you got involved with? Now, I, I was looking today. You have quite a resume, Brad. So, yeah. What, what else did you get involved with, like, after moving there? So, sort of when home started becoming really inactive, um, I randomly ended up me and my friend Greg, who I'd played with in home, and he had been in some Austin, Texas bands called like Windsor for the Derby, and these. Uh, he moved back up to New York, and um, he opened up this amazing record store off Ninth Street between A and B called Shrine Records, which was like mm-hmm. such a community center of fuck ups, you know. Um, <laughs> but him and I ended up playing in this band. Uh, backing this woman holly golightly and holly golightly comes from you guys familiar with like billy childish and the head coats and the head coatees that's it's like a it's like very english diy punk sort of blues you know I'm not okay familiar. i'm not but worth but investigating worth, they're <laughs> yes. worth investigating they you know very they put out millions of records like millions yeah. you know like shittily recorded, but just like very powerful. Like the Headcoats were like such an amazing band to watch live. Just like mm. raw power, English punk, political with like a you know whatever. Long story short, Holly Golightly is this woman that comes out of like the female version of the Headcoats, which are called the Headcoatees, and she's looking for this band to like tour New York, a rhythm section. So me and my buddy Greg join this band do a couple tours with her but she brings her english guitar player over this gentleman named dan melcher melcher um um, and we hit it off and he wants to come over and start a band with me and the drummer greg with his other friend bruno from england so they move over here and we start this band called the broke review and i mean just to give you context it was like so I think it would it would around the time where like New York City was sort of like you know like in the strokes period I guess whatever the fucking yeah. meet me in the bathroom period <laughs> right you know whatever <laughs> right. um um a little pre that but also like that's what was sort of going on in New York you know and then there was like this other sort of version of it which were these like you know kind of like garage rock I guess you would call it garage rock. So mm-hmm. because Dan kind of came out of this like head coats, head coatee scene, we were sort of automatically lumped into this like garage rock, you know, scene, um, you know, like all these like indie labels, like in the red or sympathy for the record industry, like uh, which very much catered to that world. And then sort of like coincidentally around that time, like a band, like a band that came out of that scene, by the way, is the White Stripes. Okay. Ah. Oh, oh. So there was this sort of like fucking fifth generation garage rock movement, you know, which sort of like <laughs> came a raw rock, I guess that they were calling it at the time, you know, which basically came out of like the whole Strokes Meet Me in the Bathroom New York City thing, you know, where just mm-hmm. like, you know, like the enemy and people in the United States were really 
psyched by this like you know these new rock bands but you know but to me they were just garage rock bands you know i think that's still like a big thing here because i i moved here in 2012 yeah and i got involved a little bit in the scene in brooklyn and yeah it's a lot of the that like garage rock i don't know everyone really likes like just alternative stuff like Nirvana or Dinosaur Jr. I I found it annoying personally because mm. I'm I'm a I'm a hardcore kid. I right. like hardcore, metalcore, post-hardcore, emo, everything under that umbrella. Yeah. And I I could just never find anybody who listened to anything that I do. It was all this weird garage rock stuff. And every all of my friends really worshipped Brian Jonestown Massacre, like to the point that it was just really irritating. Like, I still won't listen to them to this day because they wouldn't shut up Wait. about Brian Jonestown Massacre. So, like, I don't uh, I don't know. It's just, it just wasn't my scene. Oh, yeah, it sucked. Like, I, I still, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's some West Coast stuff I never understood. I just, I, yeah. I never got it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so this band was sort of, like, lumped into the ghetto of that world, you know? So, we're yeah. like, you know, and we, we had a record deal with In the Red Records, which actually is a great label still to this day. That You know, they put out a lot of, like, weird punk and garage and like psych stuff and um just a really cool like la label you know and like a lot of you know like sort of like i don't know we were sort of caught between this like new york world of like you know there was like the john spencer blues explosion type stuff you know and then this like sort of like post strokes like new garage rock bands and like we all hated it because like once you know and i think we yeah we like we would end up opening for the white stripes right before they got big they did like a a show at the bowery and we opened for them because there was this like the white stripes were sort of connected to this like english head coats head coatees world you know mm-hmm. and so we got asked to open for them but i remember like right after that gig at the bowery ballroom we did with them they fucking rocketed into the fourth dimension you know what i mean like they were like the next with you know the next big nirvana or whatever you know the fuck i mean they went like straight successful after that which was sort of like unprecedented because they were just this like two-piece garage rock band you know yeah um on like a very small indie label from california and like um but then so like so the broke review would go on all these tours and like it was so disheartening because it was like of course, it was like the White Stripes became this sort of fad where now every fucking Tom, Dick, and Harry in the United States wanted to be like a blues two-piece band, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Under the guise of like a shitty garage rock band, you know? So yeah. like everywhere we went in every city, you know, we do these long, grueling tours sandwiched between these type of bands, you know? And, I mean, it was, just, it was like, uh, it was just, it was really awful. You know what I mean? And like, so like we were on this like grueling like suicidal six week tour. It was just so self destructive. We weren't making any money, and like we were just in this like garage rock ghetto, you know, and just grinding on this like brutal tour, you know. And like mm-hmm. I was strung out, and the other guy was an alcohol. You know, what I mean, it was just like really just all of us sort of having these mental breakdowns, and like you know, yeah, um, and just really disheartened by like all the scenes we were coming across. <laughs> you know or whatever <laughs> but like we remember we showed up at um we showed up at uh in cleveland at the beach when ballroom or like the front venue I, yeah i think it's the beach one but like you know we show up and like nobody's there and like this um 
opening bands there and of course they're this like two two piece blues garage rock band you know and just like <laughs> oh my god so they play there's nobody there and to me at the time just because i was so just like so over it you know what i mean like so over yeah. everything that was going on musically in the music world and the scene that we were in it was just like the worst sounding band in the world. I was like, this is like a joke. This is like the whitest blues ever, you know, like whatever, you know, <laughs> like just, I just thought it just like burned in my brain how awful this band sounded to me at the time. And it's like really like <laughs> bottom of the, you know, we were just, we had we hit this like creative bottom, you know what I mean? Yeah. And this band was like nailing the coffin, you know, of like, let's get out of this world. Um, so anyway, that was like, the Black Keys second show ever. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, uh, later, I love yeah, that. like later, you know, what I mean, like never saw that coming. You know, what I mean, like never <laughs> saw that coming. Uh, you know, whatever. You just, you just never know. Yeah, you never. Yeah. You, bands always surprise you. No. Like Nirvana was like was like a, a Melvin's ripoff band that nobody really yeah, paid too yeah. much attention to. And, and now they're like the new Beatles for a generation of 100%. kids. A hundred percent. I never, you yeah. just never know. And what's I'm always happen. wrong. You know what I mean? And like yeah. the thing that always, like this goes way back before even all this stuff, like the band that I just, you know, the band that I would he held sacred of like never crossing over into the mainstream just because of the name alone. But then they actually did have a hit. You know, and they were just such an extreme band of like total fuck ups uh, and made the most damaged music ever for the time period. But, you know, I, w I would have never guessed they would have crossed over the mainstream. The Butthole Surfers, you know, like the Butthole, yeah. like who would have thought <laughs> in a million years, you know what I mean, that they would have like a hit on like MTV, you know? Like it yeah. blows my mind. Anyway. So did you cross paths with a lot of the, the classic alternative bands in your time in New York City? I mean, I guess it depends. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, to a degree. I mean, it was, you know, moving to New York was like, you know, it's like that I, I've arrived moment because it's like there's just so many every, I mean, still even to this day. I mean, I'm not so invested in it, but like particularly when you first move here, it's like every night you can just go see the best music ever you know what i mean yes like of any yes. kind of genre really you know but you know there was still these like exciting venues that held like you know sort of going back to that thing which i love about any sort of scene or whatever it's like not a style of music or a kind of music it's just sort of this like real eclectic bill billing you know where you yeah. would have a free jazz guy playing with like the damaged art rock thing with a hardcore band and like a singer songwriter, you know, like yeah. there was just so much more of that, you know, and now it's, I think in general, everything is sort of like, you know, looped by genres. Like we got to have like a goth night or we got to have like experimental night or we got to have the hardcore night, you know? Yeah. I, I miss, I really miss the nightlife here. When I when I moved here, I took full advantage of it, and I went to all these venues in Brooklyn. I don't remember the names of half of them, but like just shows every night. But I didn't really care about the music. I was just more into the party scene because you know I was like going to these weird garage rock shows, and I was a hardcore kid at heart. But I just yeah. you know like you're at, you're at a party, and the next thing you know, you're at a warehouse watching this band, and then you're on a rooftop somewhere. I was just like. It's like a whirlwind of awesomeness. Yeah. 
And that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, you know, sort of like the DJ culture. Uh, you know, it's like if you go see a DJ, and I'm not talking like at a dance club, but like, you know, just going to like a venue or a bar or seeing a DJ and like, you know, sort of this goes back to like 70s New York and like 80s stuff. But like, you know, the whole point of DJ was to like turn you on to music. So this yes. idea of being a DJ is like you would have these eclectic records, you know? Yes. And then so it was normal for people to be like, who's this? Who's that? You know? And nothing sounded like one another. And I guess what I'm just trying to tie it into as far as like any kind of like scene, like I just, it was like going to a venue, like where just these real eclectic, different sounding bands would play, you know? And like it didn't matter where you're from or what style you were in, you know? And yeah. like you'd just be really turned on to so much more stuff that way, you know. It was very yeah. exciting. I'm not sounding like it was like the golden days. It's just like things in general culturally have become more condensed. I mean, even like the streaming platform is like, what genres do you like, you know? And we'll cater to yeah. that, you know, as opposed. Yeah, it's to- just broken down to genres and plays, and people can see what I'm playing and statistics. It's all yeah. like like the algorithm yeah. world, you know. Yeah, like we're gonna cater to your taste as opposed to like trusting you're an open-minded person. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's just crazy. Like, like being in New York for the first time, and everything just seems so overwhelming. And then when you after you live here for a while, you're like, yeah, I just know where everything is. But that I for me personally, the, the magic still exists you know what i mean like sometimes i'll be walking down the street in manhattan and i'll be like i live here like this is crazy yeah i mean i i i like that you say that you know because i i'm reminded every so often you know that there's there's this crazy magic and like you know just going back to like that whole garage rock ghetto scene that was so devastatingly savage and brutal you know it's like spiritually bankrupt i guess you know (laughs) um like out of that really did sort of I became more involved with like uh you know like the sort of like Brooklyn DIY it's like when you know Manhattan became you know sort of co-opted and like all these sort of DIY venues started shows and venues started happening in uh in Brooklyn like Williamsburg you know what I mean yeah it was still kind of like a no man's land and so you know that was like a real rejuvenating time because like uh you know, it was like that sort of like guerrilla mentality DIY of like, you know, you don't need to play brownies or Mercury Lounge or Bowery Ballroom or whatever the fuck and like try to like work your way up this ladder. It's like you can just ask this guy who owns this bar if he would mind, you know, putting on a show <laughs> and like yeah. whatever. And, you know, and it was that was and then once again, it was just like it didn't matter what kind of like band you or no not not you know i guess more eclectic the better of the lineup you know um but like that's when that sort of stuff started happening and like my friends were like the people like you know like that i don't know if you know that venue warsaw and yeah absolutely okay so so like warsaw my like one of my best friends still to this day is this guy fits and he was sort of responsible for like just being this dude who would go walk into like a place and be like hey i want to put on a show here you know Mm-hmm. Um, and so like Warsaw was this like Polish hall, you know, and yeah. he had just walked in there to get a beer one day and saw that they had this like stage and like kind of ballroomish thing, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and like just asked the guy if he can put on a show, you know, and then like 
guy said yes and like i don't think there was even like he was just like i'll you know people who come to the show will drink at your bar you know that's like your cut you know um <laughs> and then i'm not making any money because i'm just gonna pay the bands or whatever you know um so that place like he kind of discovered that place and like one of the very first shows he did there i think was like you know it was like like uh like the yeah 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 it was like second show ever and like the liars you know but like before they were you know what i mean like it was all their sort of early shows and like these yeah. weird like like or oneida who's sort of this like brooklyn experimental institutional band that's still around still puts out records or like you know this uh really extreme band called sightings who are when i'm still one of my favorite brooklyn bands to this day even though they don't exist anymore but they were just extreme like harsh noise rock you know um but it was like you know it was like very like this like diy you know or or and i would go around with fits and like the people who they now own secret project robot which has moved several locations but before it was this sort of collective called mighty robot and they um like we'd walk around williamsburg and just find these empty lots you know and then called the person who had the empty lot, asked if we can put like an outdoor show and like go in there and like clear out the garbage, build a stage and like, you know, put these like shows on in these like empty lots, you know? Um, nice. Uh, yeah. You know, like that sort of real guerrilla DIY, you know, kind of like, not like fuck Manhattan, but also just like, you know. You got to go where it's possible. Yeah. You know, but sort of, sort of bringing the like art extremity back into music, as opposed to these like you know bands who are trying to like get a record deal and uh, off the heels of like the whole meet me in the bathroom thing or whatever the fuck you know. Yeah. Like, Did you have any exposure to that whole scene? I mean, you know, ironic or any involvement? I guess I should say. Um, ironically, I mean, I only laugh at that now because I am in this band Interpol, which is like yes. a huge yes. part of that thing, you know? I mean, yeah. and I would just say, I I haven't read the book, you know, but it, it it's sort of weird with these, like, particularly any kind of book about, like, New York City music scene of, like, these, like, golden era of the scene, you know? Yeah, cause, yeah, because I've read excerpts from that yeah. book, and I'm like, yeah, that was just kind of my life every weekend. I mean, yeah. it's not that. In fact, it's kind of tame compared to what I was up to. So. But I don't know if I, I just resent the fact that like the you know people not I wouldn't say the people who write these books. Uh, you know, I don't. I, I'm, it's not even that, but it's like there's an illusion that before this scene happened, there was nothing going on in New York. You know? Yeah. Which is like, yeah. dude, it's New York. There's always shit going on every fucking that's, night of the week, man. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that, yeah, that's what's great about here is like, no matter how great you think you are, or what you're doing, like, no one really gives a fuck. Yeah, and like, someone else thinks they're doing something like much, much better. Yeah, you know what I mean? So, so it keeps you level. Yeah. So they're like, and it's sort of like what I was talking about. Like, it was just there was this real eclecticism energy you know there wasn't so much like a scene i mean of course you always and like you had your like experimental people your jazz people your like noise people your you know punk but like i don't know it wasn't like yeah you know all of a sudden the strokes pop up and there's this scene man you know like <laughs> successful bands you know yeah um so you're so you're playing in interpol right you've been playing with them for the past decade or so mm -hmm. Now, so how did you get in, how did you get involved with those dudes? Well, I mean that's sort of the funny thing. So like, 
um, and this kind of goes back to home, is that um, one of the labels home was on uh, was this label Jet Set Records. They were mm-hmm. like a New York indie label, um, and like home was on there. You know that band Mugwai was like their first. Oh God, like, yeah, was their, God, one yeah. of my absolute okay, favorites. So it was like yes. their you know first U.S. home label. Nice. Um, but uh, one of the sales reps that worked at Jesset was this guy, Daniel. And um, he was like a real kind of like young intern kid who worked at the label, a real go-getter too, you know, like real, like, I don't know. Yeah. He just, you know, probably worked for nothing, but like really kind of like worked hard on the bands that were on that label. He worked for the label, you know, and he was always neatly dressed FYI. Um, (laughs) uh, But like he would, sort of like come into the record store where I was working at and be like, Hey man, you should come, you know, kind of, you know, self-promoting as young people in bands do, you know, like come please see my band at Brownies. You know, we're trying to get many people there as possible, you know? Yeah. And then finally I did. And it was like, you know, it was Interpol basically, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Which I didn't think much of at the time, just only in the sense of like, Oh yeah, there's that kid Daniel's band, you know? Like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, like, whatever, you know? And then, of course, probably, like, naively, like, everyone else was like, yeah, I guess it sounds like Joy Division. I don't know. You know what I mean? Or whatever. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. See, I, I honestly, I've never really listened to Joy Division. Like, I've heard the hits and stuff, and I'm not I'm not a Joy Division guy. Right. So I just, I just never really made that connection. Yeah. I know a lot of people have said it. But, yeah. You know. Well, I mean, the sad thing is, it's like, they, they you know, I've, I mean, maybe Daniel had heard Joy Division, but, like, you know, he was more inspired by, like, DC, Fugazi era. You know what I mean? Like, that. Yeah. that's where he kind of grew up and came out of, and that was the stuff that really sort of inspired him to start a band, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the singer, Paul, never heard Joy Division, you know? <laughs> so I felt they spent their whole career uh, – running you know trying to get rid of that tag you know which is just so funny because like now playing with them it's like every show we've done around the world there's always like the dudes up front with the joy division t-shirt you know and we just sort of have this joke like oh they get us you know oh they (laughs) yeah they they know where we're coming from man you know everyone (laughs) has that shirt though i think they sell it in packs of five at urban outfitters like as as undershirts Yeah. yeah yeah Uh, going back, like, yeah, uh, 2010. And I, I guess I hadn't, that's how I know Daniel, you know? And once again, I never saw that coming. You know what I mean? I guess, like, from the early shows, I just never thought, like... Um, oh, I will say, though, and this is a kind of a crossover, this kind of ties thing, and I'm sorry if I'm, like, rambling. Um, no, but, no, no that's what this whole okay, podcast uh, is. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all we do. So, <laughs> so um... That, you know, the Broke Review band that I was in that was, you know, really trudging in that, like, garage rock ghetto, you know, uh, um, in early in Interpol's, like, kind of right before they got signed, or right, well, two things happened, it was that, like, Daniel and I always kept in touch, you know, and Daniel mm-hmm. was always interested in whatever I was doing, and, like, he had gotten the Broke Review to open for Interpol, uh, maybe the first time they played the Bowery Ballroom, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like their first EP, I think, you know? 
and they had sort of like worked their way up the whole that sort of like structure I was talking about where you play brownies, you play Mercury Lounge, and you play the next venue up. There was this like thing, you know, yeah, the New York yeah. bands had to do in order to play the bigger venues. You you had to work your way up, you know. Um, which is you know I'm, I'm I'm rambling here, which was like sort of why I I always really appreciated the sort of DIY sort of like brooklyn thing because there was just none of that shit you know none of like yeah. you don't work your way up you just play a fucking show you know yeah. and cooler the better anyway oh so daniel had asked the broke review to open for them and we did the bowery ballroom um and it's funny because the only thing i remember about that gig is that i had asked carlos their bass player if i could borrow his bass amp which he had just bought in his first bass amp and it was like this small <laughs> like cube ampeg like very small almost like practice style ampeg and i was like so disappointed you know like, <laughs> i was like oh that's not like loud enough you know whatever um but uh and then so yeah then they got signed to matador and their record fucking broke loose and i was working at the record store at the time so i kind of got to see like holy shit like this you know didn't see that coming this record sound like hotcakes yeah. you know and it was and it's you know it's a great record i don't know i mean oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, and then he had asked uh, the Broke Review to do this, like, leg of a U.S. tour with them, you know? And, like, we were, like, you know, we didn't come from that world. We were, like I said, we were kind of more in this, like, underground, garage rock ghetto sort of arty world, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, to Daniel's credit, like, he kind of took a band, you know? Like, he kind of took a chance on us for whatever reason. And we ended up doing some shows on the Northeast with him, you know? And then, yeah, I just sort of had lost touch uh with him for a long a very 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 long time you know and i think because he was just touring the world you know he was just never home you know like for many years they just like record after record tour you know and they and and to their credit i mean they are like a a very uh and i'm i'm not saying this because i'm in the band but also just because i have experience like they they still work very hard you know, like they still tore yes. their asses off. They still, you know I mean? They're still on that sort of like work ethic of like, you know, mm-hmm. like they're also, this is something I, I, they're really smart dudes. Like, like the, like, it seems like Paul and Daniel are both like, so they, they're both fluent in a couple languages, right? Like they're yeah. really fucking really smart guys. Yeah, no, totally, totally. You know, uh, I mean, I, I forget how many languages Daniel speaks, but you know, it's like like Spanish, Italian, you know, uh, French, uh, and then yeah, Paul's very very fluent in like Spanish. You know, what's funny is I didn't realize Paul was from England until this week, mm-hmm. and you, you know, on the on the first record when he he announces the song before Stella was a driver, and you hear him like with the English accent. Yeah. I thought that was a fake English accent. <laughs> so I was I was always like, why is he doing a fake English yeah. accent? Well, I mean, that's actually, I think, him with ice cubes in his mouth is the story. That's him saying oh, yeah. ice cubes in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just to their credit, they've always worked and toured very hard, you know? Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it was 2010. I, um, I basically get a call out of the blue... Because, yeah, so I think 2010, like, they, 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 they had this sort of, like, really bad year where, like, they had gotten dropped from Capitol Records and ended up back on Matador. And then mm-hmm. Carlos, their bass player, quit the band. 
Mm-hmm. And then they had lost their management. They had some manager who was like Coldplay manager or something. Um, so they were just having this year. But then they got um, Dave Paho from the band Slint. You guys familiar with Slint and all that? Yeah. yeah. Great guy. Yeah. And he's actually, even before the Interpol thing, he was a friend of mine. Like I just was always a fan and, you know, met him and knew all of the solo stuff. So I was like, oh, it's cool. They got Paho. You know, they were just sort of like making their way through this really devastating year for them career-wise you know Mm -hmm. um and then yeah somewhere like the end of 2010 i get a call from daniel and uh and i don't call him back i and like i what am i doing at this time and i kind of had this period of time where like you know, it was like playing in bands, but I was just playing sort of random bands and I wasn't in anything full time and like I didn't really have my own projects. And like also like my had this sort of like accidental career happen where I became this like tour manager, which was like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? You know, and, and so like, you know, and the, oh, yeah. So Keith, like, so like, that's what it was. I, I you know, I, I quit drinking. I quit doing drugs. I get clean and uh you know, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing in my life. I don't even know if I can play music anymore. You know what I mean? Like, just yeah. real lost. And uh, and then, you know, I start playing with some friends and bands and projects. And then, like, uh, this band, uh, you know, kind of basically came out of, like, the, you know, DIY Brooklyn thing, uh, Animal Collective. I'd be- yes. become friends with yeah. them and, like, Black Dice, who mm-hmm. Black Dice, till this day, are still my favorite band out of this place anyway they asked me if i wanted to like go on tour with them like drive sell merch you know and it was and it was yeah. this tour they were doing with black dice in, like early 2004 you know um and i did it uh and i had such a blast it was like the first time i'd been on tour forever you know but long story short just like fast forward that was like 2004 2010 i somehow have this like accidental career as a tour manager, which is like, you know, and I'm like a musician, I'm not a tour manager, you know what I mean? But I keep getting asked by these bands, like, and it was just like, like, uh, you know, like Animal Collective. And then it was like the Fleet Foxes and it was Beach House. Then it was like Blonde Redhead, like all these, like, I don't know, you know what I mean? It's like, like, Those are like all the big 2010 bands. Yeah, but it was just weird because like, I'm not a professional dude (laughs) like i don't know what the fuck i'm doing i just know how to go on tour you know yeah i know how to drive i know how to like you know whatever i know how to do that stuff you know and i guess that's what maybe made me an inkling of a good tour manager was just that i was more in the band mindset than like the guy trying to control the band you know yeah it was just like well i don't know i don't i mean and i but anyway it was just sort of this like accidental career and like uh and but i was kind of getting burnt out on it because it was like you know that's the thing being a musician and you know it's just like i was sick of going on tour not playing music you know even though it was like affording me a life and you know working with all these really cool people and getting to travel all over the world and stuff you know i mean it was still like it's you know touring's like soul sucking so it was like oh yeah if i'm not going to be out there playing you know (laughs) like um and at the time um, sorry if i'm rambling um, oh no! Go um, ahead. At the time, I was on this like really kind of cool tour. Uh, so there's this like famous. Uh, there, you ever heard of this like UK 
folk guitarist named Bert Yanch? No. Okay. No, no. So Bert Yanch is like this UK legendary folk guy who like, so like Neil Young will say like, there's two guitarists in the world that inspired me. Jimi Hendrix on the electric guitar and Bert Yanch on the acoustic guitar. Well, And then a certain point in the sort of like indie world and we're talking like drag city and like post sort of like animal collective, the Vander Banhart, all of these, whatever you would call it, like freak folk movement of like the two yeah. thousands. Yeah. Like people would sort of look up to like this guy, Bert Yanch, you know, or like Vashti Bunyan and all these like sort of obscure UK folk musicians, you know, mm-hmm. I find myself in 2010, tour managing this gentleman, Bert Yanch, this legendary dude, as he's opening for Neil Young, who's playing solo. So like on this tour, looking after Bert Yanch, who just was in remission from cancer. He was older. It was like basically touring with like your very cool grandfather, you know? Yeah. Um, But then getting to like watch Neil Young blow minds every night, you know, like, like, (laughs) you know, whatever. It was just so surreal. Um, yeah. um, in the middle of that tour, I get a call from Daniel, you know, which mm-hmm. I was like, why is this guy calling me? You know, <laughs> um, he leaves a message. Hey, can you call me back? You know, I never called him back. And then I get like an email. Hey, Daniel, did you get my message? Call me back. You know, mm-hmm. didn't email him back. And I don't even know why. I guess I started thinking like, oh, like maybe he's reaching out to me because someone in the band needs to go to rehab or something. You know, like someone needs to get their shit together and he's like calling me, you know, to ask advice, you know? Yeah. Whenever anyone (laughs) needs to talk to me, I just, I'm just like, what went wrong? Like I need to know what went wrong and what I'm going to have to do. And and like, honestly, I was like too busy, like, you know, touring with this guy, Bert Yance and Neil Young to like call him back. You know, I kind of had to like look after this guy and whatever, you know? And then he calls me again it's like please please call me back it's very important you know <laughs> oh, so finally i'm like oh jesus christ all right you know like call this guy yeah. back and then i call him and then he's like hey would you play bass for interpol <laughs> 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 wow. which like i had to think about you know what i mean like uh yeah. just because it was like you know it's so far removed from that music i guess you know or like i don't know i was sort of deep into some weird like psychedelic kind of post-punk weird experimental shit you know what i mean and this was basically like some commercial alternative band calling me you know so i was like is this cool you know like is this like (laughs) i don't know you know like i just really had to think about it and like ask some people but like he needed an answer right away you know because they're like we're fucked we have these tours coming up and like you know um, you know, it's funny that you you still have that decision in your mind because, like, I, I've done that with bands I've been in, which are just like very, very, very small bands, and I'm like, is this really for me? Like, do I really want to do this? But like, you get called and asked to be an Interpol, and you're like, I don't know, I don't know if this is like for me. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it was, it was it was just weird, but like you know, but I mean, pretty quickly, I think everyone that I would sort of asked. You know, we're like, yeah, you got to do it, dude. You know what I mean? Like, fuck, you're a musician, yeah. not a tour manager. You got to, you know, you got to do this. Yeah. You know? um, and then I, you know, and then I called Paho because I was like, what's the deal? Like, what really happened, Paho? You know what I mean? 
but like Paho legitimately had to quit because of family obligations and he was in like, yeah, yeah. You know, he just had his own, whatever. Um, right. And then luckily enough, because I was friends with Paho when I decided to do it, um, you know, and that's, and that's sort of another thing. Like when I decided, I said, yes, I do it. I had a very short window to learn a band's discography, you know? Yeah. And, now at this point they have what three LPs out? They were and then on their probably other. They were on in? their fourth LP. Okay. So how much? Now this is this is a recurring theme I talk about on the <laughs> yes. show. We have. We, I have a yeah. recurring nightmare where the it's the band's about to go on and they're like, "You got you got to learn it now. We're going on." And I've talked to a lot of musicians who've done that and they've pulled it off. And I I'm always amazed by it because I've. I've done two tryout situations. One was okay, but I needed a lot of help, and one was a disaster. So how much time do you have to learn these songs? I have one month. I have one solid month, I think it turned out. Um, yeah. Now, t- take us through some of the process, because I'm always really curious about how people do it. Okay, so so when I decide to do it, I'm like... Oh, this should be easy because I'm, you know, I'm like still like ignorantly thinking it's just like Joy Division sounding band, you know? Yeah. Of like, oh, the post punk bass lines, I can eat those for breakfast. I grew up. That's how I taught myself how to play bass, like The Cure and Joy Division and all those, like, you know, English punk, post punk bands, you know? Like PIO. Right. Like, that's yeah. what I know how to do. You know what I mean? Even though, like, mm-hmm. I haven't done that music in a long time. So it's like in my mind, I was like, so this should be a piece of cake. Yeah. Um, and then Daniel sends me the discography. And then not only does he send me the discography, I think at this point, you know, 2010 t- technologies where he's like, I can also send you the bass stems. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So I basically for a month, and, and this is what I learned very quickly. Like, okay, I'm going to learn this stuff, you know, listen to the song. Seems simple enough listen to the bass stem i'm like jesus christ yeah now that when like, i think like, of incredible bass playing yeah. i always think of carlos from interpol there there is so much nuance and just so much bounciness and movement and awesome stuff happening in those bass lines i i i, I would be scared to learn that all especially in just a month's time well yeah so instantly it hits me like okay he's kind of like the lead instrument in this band he's like the lead guitar (laughs) in this band you know what i mean and like it's way more technical than i ever imagined yes oh yeah because it's not just root notes like that's what people think typically with it it's oh i'll just play along with whatever the root notes are again it's like no it's not that a hundred percent yeah so it's like him and sam are like the driving sort of lead instrumentation (laughs) you know um yeah so I'm like, oh, what the fuck did I get myself into? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but basically, for that whole month, I just basically like lived and breathed those songs. Like I did not, you know. And it's weird because, like, you know, I'm avid listen music listener, and during that month, I remember like a lot of my friends sending me their new records that I was psyched to hear, but I could not listen to them because I have to really only listen to Interpol. You know? Right. And do you have to learn every song? Are they like just learn every song or did they I give mean, you like I a mean, set? I mean, they gave me like a set, like three sets almost worth of stuff, you know, so they could rotate stuff out, which, you know, is kind yeah. of like their discography, you know, they're not <laughs> yeah. like big on the B sides or playing, but you know what I mean? It's like, 
deep album yeah. cuts or whatever. So I mean, so yeah, it was like very overwhelming just because like, but I but there is so there's this beautiful thing that happens. Um, you know, I don't know. It's like a real lesson in humility uh, and just like the ego thing, you know, um, mm-hmm. because like basically I had to learn Carlos's bass parts verbatim, note for note. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I kind of come yeah. out of this like sloppy DIY, like improvisation, you know what I mean? Like more damage, you know, there's always room to like, fuck up and make mistakes and like you know and maybe that's a good Mm -hmm. thing you know just real loosey-goosey you know um um but so i had to you know in in that band there can be no mistakes because like obviously the fans are so obsessive they'll hear it you know yeah and then also you know that like interpol isn't like a loosey-goosey jam band (laughs) thing or whatever you know especially the rhythm section the guitar The guitars maybe a little bit, but not the rhythm section. So I like really had to learn it verbatim, note for note, you know, which was like very frustrating, very hard. I think even for the first few weeks, I didn't know he was even playing in drop D. So (laughs) like making like a little, having that little note kind of like was like, oh man, you know, like no wonder I've been banging my head or whatever. (laughs) Um, Um. so, I mean, and then, okay, so also this goes back to, like, Pajo, um, is that he was living at, in Philly in the time, and I called him up, mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, man, can you, like, come, like, stay the night and just, like, you know, coach me, you know? And so yeah. he, that one night, he kind of coached me, and I sort of videoed him, you know, because I was, like, running out of time. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, like, cramming right. before the test, you know? Right. Um, so that was, like, kind of, he was, like, Pajo was, like, my cheat sheet, you know? Uh, and awesome. just making sure yeah. I was doing it right, and, you know? Um, but there's, so this beautiful thing happened where it was, like, um, and I, I had this other band at the time that was sort of, like, this, like, super group kind of, like, we put out a record on this label in Brooklyn called Mexican Summer, and um, but we're mm-hmm. mostly improvised, you know, and like we're, we were sort of like the anti-band. This band called Soldiers of Fortune, where it's like we don't write songs, we don't rehearse, we just play shows, you know. We just like, like yeah. any, you know, and just like it's like a hurricane, you know. It's like sink or swim, you know. And there's just these amazing players. I remember right before I went to go rehearse with Interpol for the first time, I'd played a show with them. And because I'd been so locked in for a month learning these bass lines, Carlos's bass lines, note for note, and like mm-hmm. having to like rewire my brain to like play like exactly like somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and like really, like I said, taking my ego out of it, you know? Like, yes. Uh, Which is hard. I sh- for me, yeah, at least. I showed up yeah. and played this like improvised show with this band, Souls of Fortune. Uh, and like, it was just noticeable how in that month of learning somebody else's technique and baselines and whatever, and like rewiring my brain and not making it about myself and like, okay. And I'm just going to preface this by saying like, still to this day, 
I still feel like a 13-year-old kid who's picking up the bass for the first time who does not know what he's doing. I'm completely self-taught, never had a music lesson <laughs> in my life. I can only play by ear listening to records. You know what I mean? Same, same. Yeah. Um, yep. But it was the first time ever that I was like, oh my God, I think I just became a better musician. You know what I mean? Of like, like what if, what would probably take me like 10 years of like some technique or something, learning a technique or something on the bass. Like mm -hmm. it, I had just done in that month from learning these fucking Interpol songs. You know what I mean? I don't know if it makes yeah. sense, yeah. but it was just something I so no, badly wanted like, to thank Carlos for. You know what I mean? Like, had I not done that, yeah, my growth awesome. would still have been stunted, you know? Well, yeah, those crash courses are awesome because I, I was in a hardcore band like five years ago where I was the only guitar player. So for the first time, it was all on me and just leaps and bounds in like what I was doing. I still think about some of the songs I've written. I'm like, how did I, how did I do yeah. that? Like, I, I, lo I love those breakthroughs. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, the only I was going to say one of the connections I made with when I hear you talk about that, it's like uh, I spent the first. So I'm a mm -hmm. teacher for a living um, and I taught uh, English and writing for the first uh, six years that I taught. And one of the uh, math teachers, I was sitting there talking to her one day, and she was like, hey, uh, you, you know, we just lost a math teacher, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, that sucks, man. Like, I, I can do percentages, and, like, I, I, I know fractions pretty well, and I can I, I can do some basic algebra, but, I, like, I don't think I could teach math. And she's like, hold on a second. She found this course for me, and through Rutgers, I got my math certification in the about 13 months but i retaught myself algebra one and i hadn't been in a math class since i was 18 years old and i remember like sitting in the library by myself on saturday mornings i would get up at six and i would be there at seven when the place opened like with a full like 32 ounce coffee and i would just go through this and i i, I had a realization of like oh my god if i had actually fucking applied yeah. myself when i went to school i had like how different my life would have turned out? I would fucking be a doctor oh, yeah, or exactly. something right now. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Like, if I had this kind of focus where I was like, all right, there's a lot at stake and I have something to prove and I have to be able to do this. And there's like a test at the end of this. Like, it, like the, the same thing. Like, it's a performing life. I, I have to prove to people that I can do the same thing. It, it's just you you're able to harness your brain's power and it's it's fucking amazing what you're able to do when you really are focused. Yeah, like, yeah. So, no, I, I agree. Totally agree. So when you join Interpol, do they issue you a suit and sunglasses? <laughs> that's like that's like the thing everyone <laughs> always uh, asks. Here's the vibe. Um, uh, <laughs> um, so basically, like it's 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 never said you have to wear a suit. You know, it's just yeah. it's there's no contract or written thing or whatever. You know. Um, I chose to wear a suit because otherwise right. compared to those guys, I would look like a junkie homeless guy, you know? What yeah. I mean? Like, like, I, and that's, I think I'm, I'm just always curious about that. Cause I would match the vibe of whatever band I yeah. am. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, if, if they're up there in suits and sunglasses and you're wearing like jeans and a yeah. t-shirt, you're going to look yeah. dumb. Yeah. And like, yeah. I kind of, 
you know, the only way I sort of let my freak flag fly in the beginning of that band was just to not cut my hair, you know? Like, I'm not fucking cutting the hair. I mean, God, I wish I did, like, looking back, you know what I mean? Like, I just (laughs) hate myself looking at those old pictures of me. You know what I mean? Like, the the long-haired suit just never works. It just doesn't, you know? Mm. Um, But, like, I also just found the suit kind of, like... uh, I mean, A, because I'd never, ever in my life had ever wore a suit, you know, um, in a band, particularly. You know, not any band I could think of. It was just, you know, you wear what you wear, you know? Exactly. Um, But the suit, A, like I didn't want to stick out, you know? I wanted to be in the background, in the cut. Uh, But it also kind of like, for whatever reason, and it, it really helped me get into like, and I, I, this sounds corny, but it's just bear with me, you know, it, 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 in particularly for Interpol, it just, it got me into character. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense where it's yeah. just like, okay, I, I, it I absolutely does in this band, you know, I am yeah. playing this band music, you know, and not to say yeah. that it's like, I'm an actor, or, you know, a theater or something, but it just, the vibe it helps you get into like the fucking mojo the vibe or whatever you know of that i totally get it having done a, yeah having done a very little bit of yeah. acting i yeah. totally get it i totally so, get no, it because if if i'm joining gz top i'm fucking exactly. growing a beard like, oh yeah you know like, yeah, yeah i'm getting a fucking <laughs> yeah. leather jacket dude i'm fucking doing it. and i feel like <laughs> i gotta get a hot rod as i've been in the band for a long time now i feel like the more i'm like just like I'm, I'm fucking into it. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of want to, I mean, I, they, you know, whatever. I'm kind of like, I want to be more the like the gothy character guy, you know what yeah. I mean? And they're kind of like, they're, they're not into that shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, they're into dressing nice and looking nice, but you know what I mean? Like, I want to get into like the dark Lord zone, you know, like full. <laughs> yeah. I'm in that zone. I wear all black like, all I'd the time. Full Marilyn like, Manson it, on their ass. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah i like that keith you do i was gonna say keith you have that aesthetic of like you definitely you keep your like you dress very nicely like every time i see you you're yeah, very sharply true, dressed oh like, well yeah. thank you guys that, that feels good it, <laughs> it helps that my uh, girlfriend is a stylist yeah. as well so i'm i'm, I'm oh, taking yeah, it to yeah, the yeah. next level now which but is basically great. just going back to the outfit thing i think it's not implied a suit but it's like you know look nice wear black when in doubt, when in doubt, yeah. wear black. You know what I mean? Because of the, you can look nice Always. in a black collar shirt and black jeans and whatever. You know. Interpol did a run of shows with U two. Were you a part yeah. of that tour? Yes. Now playing, I gotta ask, playing with U two. Like, what? What is it like being on a tour like that? I imagine stadiums and like a giant backstage area with like a, a carving station and there's like a chef with a hat <laughs> and like all this stuff. Like, what? What is it like? <laughs> Um, I mean, you know, that it's sort of been my experience in any band that I've been in, you know, that like whenever you think you've reached some sort of like level, you know, it's actually mm-hmm. the same thing in disguise. You know what I mean? Like, yes, mm, I'm trying to think how I could say this. Okay. So like, we're, yes, we're on this U2 tour. We're playing football stadiums, literally football stadiums, you know? And they got their big, massive 360 fucking Art Deco spider from Mars kind of stage, you know, and it's like 60,000 people, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Our dressing room is like the, 
some cement locker room, you know, that is completely isolated yeah. from the rest of society, <laughs> you know, like it's <laughs> not saying it's like a broom closet, but you know what I mean? Like you would not know where the hell you were. We could hide in there, you know, no one would ever find us, you know, like it's just, it's yeah. like, yeah, I mean, sure. Like there was a catering thing, but the catering things like two miles away and, you know, then like you no. go in and it's just like your normal buffet thing. You know what I mean? So it's not like, mm-hmm. I guess, the glitz and glamour that you would, one would think of, you know, it's still like, it's like the, a stadium's version of a shitty backstage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I guess <laughs> if that makes sense, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm just always. So it's pretty much the same thing, just in a yeah. stadium and maybe like some more yeah. space. You know what I mean? And you're completely okay. isolated from them and you're completely isolated from your friends that come to the show and like, you know what I mean? Like, and then it's just, a, you know, it's obviously a surreal experience playing in front of a big audience that is only there to see the band you're opening for. So like you could just be a drone, you know what I mean? For all, they're just like yeah. get over with, so we can see fucking you too. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, we didn't, yeah. never, we never got like booed, I mean, you know, or anything like that. But it was just definitely like, you know, I remember looking into this sort of like half. You know, people are just coming in while we're playing, and the people that are watching this all have like the thousand yard stare. You know, of uh, yeah, you know, like okay, yeah, whatever, good get off you know like we got we got <laughs> sunday buddy sunday you know or whatever so is, is it super scary like walking out and playing a gig like that now the i mean the recent experience i've had I, I was in a play i think last year and but i was the lead in the play and i i was so scared beforehand i could barely eat and when i walk out on the stage it's you know it's kind of like a flash of white light and you're like oh my god but then you're just in it and you're doing it. Like what, or you, or do you have enough experience now that you're just like, no, like this is a gig and I'm playing it. Um, I mean, I, you know, and I've talked to other musicians about this, you know, uh, for some reason in like, you know, and obviously Interpol has done some really huge shows and the, you know, and, the, and, and it's funny because like the, the longer I've been in the band and every time we sort of do a tour, you know, like the, the, the label, the manager, even the band is like, yeah, this is like the biggest show we've ever done. I've heard that so many times, you know? Mm-hmm. And in my mind, it all just sort of looks the same, you know, like if it's like a festival yeah. or whatever, you know? So it's sort of like at a certain point, you just can't really tell how many people are there, you know? And like you almost don't want to know because then that would make you sort of nervous, obviously. Um, but long story right. short, uh, and those things are very surreal. They can be very much like just a blur, you know, because of like adrenaline or yeah. whatever, you know. And sometimes they can be very robotic, which sucks because you're not like connected to the, you know. Um, but like as far as me, like I get like you know. And I'm 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 just saying only in the, in the Interpol world, like we've done some like huge festivals, like thousands of thousands of people, and we've we've headlined our own shows with like thousands and thousands of people. But I get so much more nervous overall in general if like I'm playing a show to like fifteen friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? I get yeah, totally. It's like, always yeah. You know, 
totally just like freaked out you know with friends it's always insecure yeah with friends and (laughs) people i know Mm -hmm. right yeah right Uh, same and i i get nervous before everything it's just a question of how nervous am i going to get like I don't know. It just it. I have a lot of anxiety in general, so I don't know. Before some podcast episodes, I'm like, whatever, it's going to be fine. Before some, I'm like completely breaking down, and I'm like, all right, you'll be fine once you get into it. It's just, I don't know. I deal with a lot of anxiety. But um, question for you. Now you mentioned earlier that you like you know got clean and quit drinking and stuff. Do you ever find it difficult to be on sure. tour and like balance that now? I have, I've talked about this before. I did the same thing. Like I quit drinking and I quit everything else because my life was just so completely out of control. And it was hard in the beginning when I was trying to live my life the same way, but just with that out of it, you know, I'd go to parties or hang out with the same friends or go to shows and I'd be like, oh man, this is hard. But I don't really think about it so much anymore. Like I go to the show, I watch the band and I go home. That's it. But I mean, do you find it difficult ever? Um... I mean, in the beginning or now or what? Uh, how about now? No, no. I mean, like, I guess I just had the experience early on because, like, look, like, I mean, the way that I look at it, the way that I, like, used or whatever, like, I, it, I, you know, I was never, I, it kind of, like, took the whole thing away from me. You know what I mean? Like, music yeah. going out, you know, like, the whole social element, it's like, I could not do that. I was too sick. You know what I mean? I couldn't tour anymore, you know? I was too sick. I couldn't be in a right. van anymore. I couldn't fucking stomach even make it the rehearsal, let alone I'm not going to get in a van for eight hours, and I'm certainly not going to go in a room full of people. You know what I mean? Right, um, yeah. So early on, I really had this, like, experience of, uh, well, I mean, yeah, early on, I thought that part of my life was over, right? And then, like, yeah. you know, sort of like a, a person said to me, it's like, not only are you going to be able to do that again, but you're going to be able to do it better, you know, which yes. at that point I really needed to hear something like that, you know? Cause like, I was yeah. just thinking like, I can't do anything ever again. I've just, you know, like whatever. Yeah. I never played music like unless I was on something yeah. ever. So I didn't know if I was going to be able to once I stopped doing on that. Once I stopped yeah. doing all that. So like the early experience I had of going to shows, uh, particularly, was that oh my god, like I'm really connecting with the music, you know? Like I was like really feeling mm-hmm. the music and like really focused on the band. I wasn't focused on like who's drinking or who's using, you know? It was just like I'm in this fucking yeah. zone. And I'm feeling this fucking music. And particularly early on, like the louder and more damaged and fucking sonically monstrous a band was, the better. You know what I mean? Like it was just like, I wanted to be just, it was like, you know, kind of this like new drug, if you will, you know, like extreme. There you go. Yeah, that's Um, a good way of putting it. And so, and then like, and then, you know, through that, I was becoming more social with people, with other music people, you know, and just like I was having a good time. You know, it's like, oh, this is fun. Like, if you take, like, the substances out of this, like, this is actually, like, a great experience. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it can be a great experience. <laughs> like, I had no idea, yeah. you know? Um, and then, like, same thing with, like, music, you know, like, playing music, you know? It's just, like, I don't know. It just kind of came back and, like, you know, that person turns out to be right. You know, even though I still feel like the 13-year-old kid who doesn't know what he's doing, like... Oh, yeah. I see that I've gotten a lot better at music, you know? 
or being in bands, yeah. you know, like creatively and things like that. You know what I mean? Like, like I, just stuff I'd never would have been able to do otherwise, you know? So I always kind of go back to like, you know, I'm here because I made a decision to not destroy my life. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I like everything I, that is revolves around the whole music thing that I do and projects is because of like, you know, I don't have this thing. I'm numbing my blocking, you know, killing myself basically. Like it doesn't fit that piece. of the puzzle doesn't fit into the puzzle anymore is what I'm saying. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I have so much energy now to actually do things. I put out a record a couple years ago we're doing this podcast, which kind of came out of nowhere. And it's just, you know, you actually have the energy and the motivation to actually do things. Because I wasn't doing shit before. I reached a point where I wasn't playing music at all anymore. And I just sat inside and watched The Sopranos for like the 45th time. And that was was (laughs) basically it. And, and, you know, and I got to say, it is a a slow process. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like, you know, whatever. If I would have joined a band like Interpol the first year, I would have you know, I quit doing drugs, I probably would have done drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was sort of this like <laughs> slow sort of, you know, things kind of falling into place. And, you know, like, I wouldn't say like, in a weird way, it was like sort of working, working again, in the sense that like, I got to kind of start from ground zero and build this sort of new muscle back, you know, or new yes. fucking mentality back and like, just really appreciate things for what they were. And like, you know, you know, like, I guess almost like pay your dues again, almost, I guess, you know, uh, but be grateful Absolutely. that you're able yeah. to pay your dues. <laughs> you know what I mean? Be grateful that like, whatever. Uh, it's funny now because of like, um, I don't know. It's funny. Uh, particularly in these times that we're in now and there's no live music and, uh, uh, no touring specifically like, you know, and like, I think the hardest part of any kind of tour and I've been on every kind of tour imaginable from like the smallest DIY sleeping on floors to like, you know, these sort of grand Interpol ones or whatever. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, the hardest part of touring is just the traveling. It doesn't matter if you're traveling in comfort or not. It's still, that's like the real mm-hmm. grind and hard work of the life. Yep. You know, the plane yes. is the easiest part. That's like, you know, that's what we're all killing ourselves to do for like 90 minutes or an hour or whatever, you know, but the rest Mm -hmm. of the 23, some 22 hours is like the real grind, you know, Um, and it really doesn't matter if you're in a shitty van sleeping on floors or if you're on a fucking tour bus, it's still the kind of the same thing, you know, and I, I don't know. That sounds stupid to say, you know what I mean? For people that haven't experienced that. It, it absolutely. But doesn't. it's still, dude, you're still traveling and eating like shit and not sleeping. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I've, I've done it both in bands and for my job. I, my job has a lot, a lot of travel. Or it did, at least. I haven't traveled since November, thankfully. And, you know, I'm flying on a plane in a nice coach seat and I'm, I'm staying in a hotel and I yeah. fucking hate it. It's it sucks, and you're away from your comfort. You're away mm-hmm. from your routine. You're away from your normal food. You're eating at Chili's and stuff. I mean, Chili's is okay, but fuck, like it's yeah. it, it's tough. Oh, Chili's isn't okay. Stop. 
Hey, I I, I grew up in suburbia. I I like chain restaurants, and I'm not you ashamed. Know, I can't stand. Yeah. Ugh, <laughs> so, I can't stand that. But my thing is, like, I always think about this. Like, with, uh, I have the same anxiety with traveling, and like I, I look forward to certain things. Like, uh, my family and I are gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna go down the shore. We'll go to the beach and. It, that first like two days i'm in this like yes we're here this is great and then i wake up on that third or fourth day and i'm like yeah. i want my bed yeah I, yeah i want my house i i, I want my things like it, it's the uncomfortability of that where's it, it's it gets exponentially worse is what i'm trying to say is like it, it gets to the point where you just get you get fed up with not having the way, like the things that you're used to and the routines mm-hmm. that you're used to, especially now. Like I'm, I'm like absolutely dreading going back to school because I've gotten comfortable with getting up at a specific time, doing what I want, like making breakfast with my kids. Like it's just like it, it's really hard to be like, oh my god, I'm gonna have to get up at fucking five in the morning and make coffee and and drive 30 minutes in traffic like like that part of that thing Mm. wears thin at least for me very quickly and at first like when you go to like do that like as you're living like that that to me like Keith, when you talk about traveling for work and you're like I'm gonna be in this place for you know a week I'm like yeah. Ew. yeah exactly <laughs> well exactly. Yeah. yeah so i mean so this is what i was gonna say basically about all that stuff is like you know through i mean so like i guess it was yesterday the day before this tour that i was supposed to be on right now with like Stephen malcolmus you know there's always and particularly in the united states there's always these infamous drives they're just brutal and killer and this is what always blows like uk and european musicians minds when they come to the united states they're like eight hours is a long drive. That's like, that's like all day to them, you know, because they're used to going from like, you know, like whatever, not saying that like London to Paris isn't, but like, you know, once you're in a country, they're just kind of relatively like three or four hour drives. But in the United States, we inevitably have these long, brutal drives that we have to make overnight or, you know, our travel day, you know, and so one of the drives I was supposed to be on the day before yesterday is that sort of Portland to San Francisco, which, you know, is all day, you know, it's just a long, yeah. torturous yeah. drive, you know. Um, and so what I just was going to say, it's like, I will never take any drive like that for granted ever again. <laughs> uh, and I actually woke up today from like a couple of the Interpol crew guys, like someone had forwarded forward an article in relation to like, there's always this like Minneapolis to Seattle drive, which takes days, you know, like it's oh. just, it's like a brutal thing. And that's somehow just tours are booked, you know, if, unless you can play like South Dakota or like Missouri, it's just sometimes you just got, or not, or not Missouri, I'm sorry, um, Montana. Uh, you sometimes you just got to do this brutal brutality, Minneapolis to Seattle, you know, and it's just brutal. But uh, one of the Interpol crew guys it's like well this puts seattle in minneapolis into perspective because i guess like in there used to be this drive from for workers from london to calcutta 
that would take seven oh weeks. God. Oh my god! It would take seven oh my weeks. God. <laughs> <laughs> we were just wow. like, oh my god, you know, like just from one point to another, it would take seven weeks just to get to your. I can't job even imagine that. So anyway, I'm just saying in in these, you know, the sort of, you know, I will never take sort of touring for granted those crazy things that we have to do out there you know yeah and the payoff is you get to play the fucking awesome show like me i take a plane to go sit in an office like for eight hours which is uh absolutely soul crushing i know i'm we're running out of time but i just uh i just wanted to drop this for both uh tommy and you keith that um um you know because we're all watching like documentaries and reading books and you know very educational time right now as it should be you know um, and this is just music related because it was like, uh, something that just made me really psyched this week, like a documentary that just was like, it just, I don't know, just kind of just to talk about what we've all been talking about. Um, but you should check out this documentary called Desolation Center. Um, um, and essentially what it is, is, uh, in the eighties. And this kind of ties into like this, like police brutality that, you know, is in the, what we're dealing with today in the world is like in LA in the eighties, you know, you had your mm-hmm. punk rock scene and like goes back to what I was saying, like the eclecticness of like punk rock in the, particularly in the early days was like, you would have black flag, you would have the screamers, you would have the germs, you know, and they were all sounded so completely different from one another, you know, but they would put on these shows and then mm-hmm. long story short, like, the police would come in and bust up these shows and like brutalize people, you know? And like, it was sort of like the police were, you know, out to just kill the punks basically, you know? And so one of the guys sort of that came out of that scene in LA was like, Oh, I'm going to start doing these like remote location shows where like, they're not advertised. They're not, you know, we're not going to sell drinks. We're not going to like do the normal shit. You know, they'll just be like, these like we'll find these remote locations, get a couple bands, get a generator, get like some resemblance of a PA, you know, um, and uh, and so basically, long story short, in the documentary, it just they like they find these like remote desert locations, you know, um, and like one of the first shows oh. that they do is like the Minutemen and Savage Republic, uh, and it's like they basically hire a few buses like school buses to drive to LA to this remote location in the desert and you roll up and it's like this, you know, like crazy landscape and then the fucking Minutemen are playing, <laughs> you know? Well, is that where like Caius <laughs> no, and stuff no, came is, out well, of? This, no, this is scene? all free stuff. This is really has less to do oh. about desert rock of just like, um, and then like the next show they do, it's like, uh, Einster's and Neubotten, like this, like, german industrial band who actually do like you know use industrial tools and like saws to cut through steel and stuff you know um yeah and then they do like a show with like sonic youth and red cross and Minutemen and the meat puppets and like but anyway it was just sort of like and then it, it didn't last very long and then but you could also, it also was the very genesis of what would decades later become like Lollapalooza, Coachella, and Burning. That's oh, wow. the sort of irony of it. But like it seemed, I was just so inspired because like those bands I was talking about, um, 
early on just like that sort of like eclectic like every band sounding differently and just having an experience at a show you know uh it just, it just makes you totally psyched particularly in this time of like no live music and like you know in like you know in, until there's a vaccine we're gonna have to rethink how things are gonna be put on you know but it was just like that. Right. It just made me sort of like, I don't know if nostalgic or psyched for like this, like, ooh, this remote location gorilla DIY thing, you know? I, I like that. That sounds, now that reminds me, I'm going to check out that documentary, but that reminds me like back in the day, I used to go to like Psytrance shows, which I hated the scene, but I liked the drugs. So I would go to the shows because my friends were into it and, you know, all that. And they they would have raves in the middle of the Pine Barrens yeah. in New Jersey. Yeah, and I would go, and like the directions would be like, you know, make a right turn at mile marker X, drive, and make a left, and a right, and you'd be in this clearing in the woods, and they would have a rave, and yeah. it was, it was I, pretty I, cool. yeah, I'm like, yeah, I don't know, I just, it, I just, I'm highly recommending. It's such an inspiring documentary, but it also is like, I wonder if you could ever get away with doing that kind of shit anymore, you know. Just the way things are There's got to be somewhere. Like, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, I, I think like the yeah. remote location thing would be the hardest part at this point, you know? Yeah. Because here's the thing. Once you have the information age of like people can pin things, people can use like geolocators and stuff like that, it's it, it's fucked. Like, cause <laughs> some, like as many people as you have there, there's going to be one dickhead that goes, hey, check out where the fuck I am. And then, oh, you know, yeah. I forgot you know to I mean? take like, social media yeah. into account. Yeah. Yeah. You got to think that's, that's one of those things. It's like, I think about how social media has connected so many people and it's been such an amazing experience to be a part of it. But there's other times where you're going like, Ugh, I fucking wish I didn't hear some of these people's really? opinions. God, they were so much better when they were silent. I don't Fuck. I don't want to go on another rant, but like, you know, uh do it. But like I, I feel like there's this key elemental thing uh that I grew up with, like sort of my generation and the bands and even, you know, just talking about that sort of eclecticness of not falling into like a genre, but like making your own individual sort of genre sound or whatever, you know? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. a big element that is really missing is this thing called boredom, you know, where like no one knows <laughs> yeah. how to be bored anymore, you know, because we're no, uh, there, there's not one second during the day where I'm not doing something now, whether it's video games, podcasts, YouTube, social media yeah. work, like I'm, oh, I have to be doing something right. every well, minute. And, and I think, I think that's just for most of us in the world, you know what I mean? But there was a certain point where, like, boredom really kind of, like, invented so many of the most creative things ever, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. creating your own yeah. music world, you know, whatever. I don't know. It's just, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I'm not, like, a, I'm not a philosopher, but I feel like there's some sort of, like, philosophical discussion that needs to be had about bringing boredom back. Brad, I, ha I have to bring up something very important. Do you realize that when Tommy starts a new television show, <laughs> he, he he watches the first episode. And oh, then, okay. So this, it has to be a no, non-serialized No, no let me oh. finish. Let me finish. He, when Tommy starts a new TV show, he watches the first episode of the season and then the last episode of the season. Of like and the if wire? he likes both, he watches the whole thing. How fucking insane. How fucking no, insane okay. is that? So okay, all right. So let me let me let me. There's a caveat to this. It can't be something that 
each episode depends upon the, the episode prior to it. So, for example, if you were to, like, say you never heard of The Simpsons and you were like, oh, I'm going to fucking watch The Simpsons, you would take you can go and say, all right, I'm going to watch season three mm-hmm. and I'm going to watch the first episode and I'll watch the last episode because when you look at the way people write, especially TV shows now, is like they, they write them in the last, you know, 30 or some odd years. The first, you know, the season opener and the season closer are the strongest episodes. <laughs> so uh, that's my kind of barometer of what fucking you're makes a bu- sense. You're, that's you're crazy. A guy. That's what I'm you sorry. care about. Like, Pers- it's a, and it, it's, a, it's a good way to, like, you know, gauge if this is worth my time. Because, fuck, man, there's 13 episodes in between this first one and this last one. I'm not going to spend... A, a good chunk of my life spending time okay. watching right. something that sucks. Like I'm down. Well, it's not a. It's not a. It's it's just not the way to do things. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm gonna have to put my foot down this. But uh, but so so I think if you guys help me start a bring boredom back campaign. That that that's good. Bring boredom back exactly. and start by listening to the exactly. Northeast scene podcast. Totally. No. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> so Brad, uh, let but... let's let's wind down here. Let let's talk about some projects. Let's talk about some things you have coming up and some places we can check you out. Now we've got traditional techniques happening, right? That's mm-hmm. going to be happening. Yeah, I guess rescheduled for next year. <laughs> All right, and. Uh, what else can we look forward to? Um, oh, man. I mean, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I'm like kind of because I haven't been playing with people, I've just been making a lot of <laughs> crusty ambient music by myself that I just post on SoundCloud all the time for nothing. Um, and I sort of have like my own thing with that. Then I have another project called Frenemas with my friend that's you know we're trying to we're trying to do trying to make our own version like speaking of creating subgenres i have this like idea of doing like you know like crust ambient music which is like i love that know, like sort of anarchistic ambient music but like if you took like eno in like um um rudimentary peni or something you know wow. like, what would that sound like you know but i i really <laughs> want to know because i i'm big into like ambient post-rock type stuff and yeah. it, just mixing crust in sounds like an amazing idea yeah um so i'm working on a couple of projects like that and then and then i don't know i mean that's the thing everything band wise is on hold until we i mean i'll let you guys know if i get tested negative or positive and my bandmates do and we can play again <laughs> yes. or at least jam again or whatever that means you know yeah um yeah and i, I unfortunately uh i'm not on social media which is you know good and bad i like, think that's fortunate uh i think like you know outside of like youtube and soundcloud uh our band camp uh, hopefully you know, this whole band camp thing is very intriguing yes um Bandcamp is good. I've so got a record up on there. And... Yeah, it just seems like a more the DIY, almost like punk version of these other streaming things that are in favor of the artist. 
you know exactly it's the way to go and you you know you can set up a store and people can buy the record directly from you and yeah and they like waive fees this friday like every so often you know they do that a lot for charities too and i i love that that's great stuff well, we look we look forward to more, Brad, and we just want to thank you for coming on. This is awesome. I love this podcast because, like, you know, I'm a really shy person, and I I probably wouldn't call you under normal circumstances, like, to ask a bunch of questions about your life and all this stuff, even though I would want to. <laughs> so just <laughs> just having this podcast, like, it empowers me to to get to know people and even like friends I've had for a long time. Like I, I you know, I get to ask them all kinds of questions and stuff that I never would otherwise. So you know, I just want to say thanks a lot for coming on. Oh, Keith and Tommy, thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry if I talked your ear off. I just don't ever. Oh, no, get, this I, is... I, it's like I don't ever get to talk about music with people much these days <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people tell us that and it, it's awesome it, it was uh you know bad timing for a lot of things but perfect timing for this podcast because a lot of people yeah. are coming on and a lot yeah. of people are saying like yeah like uh, this is such a great outlet to get to talk about music and everything else so it's it's yeah awesome. yeah i don't like talking about myself but i like talking about music you know like i like i just so if you guys just want to talk about music on the next episode make it four oh, hours let's do a marathon shit, but do, you should do like a 24-hour podcast man you guys just see where the conversation that? goes that's a great idea like i've i've had some four hours i've had some similar thoughts about other things but we'll talk about those offline so the other podcasts don't steal them oh but, yeah, yeah sorry <laughs> but i just i want to be a part of it i want to be a guest for six hours on this you know, potential you know what? idea we're gonna we're gonna talk about that because uh that sounds intriguing. So, yes. Brad, thank you again for being on. Tommy, some some closing words. Uh, so I, I don't want to get super heavy. No, I'm going to do it, okay. please. Uh, so uh, today is July first. Uh, I, I I I don't know when this is going up, but uh, today is 33 years since my father has died. So oh man. Um, it's really weird because I, 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 I've talked with, like, my sisters, and uh, we, we kind of, like, we always touch base on this day just to kind of, like, you know, see how everybody's doing and shit. And uh, my sister, who's – she's a teacher at a Catholic school. Um, she was like, oh, well, you know, you know, everything happens for a reason. I'm like, do you really think so? <laughs> do, you really, do you really think – you know, like, if there's a god, like – he took daddy away because we had learned this lesson. Like, what the fuck? Like, are you, are you out of your mind? And yeah. she was like, well, you know, I, I, I just think that's, you know, that it's comforting to her. And um, I, I think that the thing that I come back to consistently that's comforting to me when I think about this stuff is that, uh, you know, I was five when my father passed. And, like, I have my little girls. Uh, I have three little girls. And uh, it, like, I'm waking. I have my alarm set on my phone for 6.15 in the morning. Uh, I wake up five days a week with them, and we go to the skate park. And they ride scooters and skateboards, and we know we get there before, like, there's a bunch of people there and hang out and, you know, just talk. And it's just great to spend time with them. But I always think about this is, like, you know, people take comfort in different things, but the one thing I take comfort in is that, like, you know, you don't know when life is going to end. So let that determine what you say and what you think at every moment. So just appreciate what you have when you have it because you you always know that there's something that's going to change 
and it, it could be profound, it could be minuscule, it could be something that's completely banal, but what we consistently now go back to is that life is chaotic, and it, it's really, really hard for us to look at this and say, you know, what's happening around, what, you know, like what's happening right now in the world, it, it seems like utter chaos, but what you have to do is, it, what I've taken solace in is that I appreciate the small moments, like the, the quiet breakfast when we're sitting there, yes. um, the, you know, walking the dog in the morning, like my daughters, you know, we took a walk with the dog yesterday and uh, they learned how to like hold the dog, you know, mm. like uh, this is how you walk a dog, like out on a walk. Like this is what you do to like, make sure that like she doesn't get hurt and make sure you're safe. And like, it's just being in that moment. So take every moment that you have here as a gift and be happy with that. Like, because mm. there's so many people that, you know, got a phone call in the last 24 hours that have, you know, changed their right life for the worst. And mm. um, just be really, really happy that what you have right now is something that you can take away from this and go, I can learn from this and I can be a better person because of it. And wow, I that's think, amazing. I think that's the Jesus. Thing. I mean, now so, I feel wow. stupid about talking about music this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, so, I mean, let's, re, let's rewind. Let's start. No, let's start. no, no. This, no. Be the, this is the start of this. Guys, we're going right long now. on this one. No, we're no, going no. long on this one because, <laughs> Tommy, I have to tell you something that's. I, Brad and Tommy, I have to tell you something that's going to blow your minds right now. All right. Yeah. Ready, Tommy? I wasn't yeah. gonna. I wasn't gonna say anything about this at all, and this is gonna blow your mind. But my brother died twenty-two years ago, and today is his birthday. Get out! Yeah, man. he he would have been forty today, oh, and like I, shit, th- for man. so many years, I didn't uh, I didn't acknowledge it or talk about it, or or I talked about it at the wrong awkward times to the wrong people, like while all fucked up and all this stuff. And yeah. you know, my parents like message me on the day of his death and his birthday, and yeah. and say like stuff, and I would just always ignore it. And now I'll like, I don't know, I would like say. Oh, that's nice, or like send a heart emoji or something. So I've only just begun, kind of processing all that. But it's July first, man. That's a that's a interesting coincidence. Yeah, yeah. It's wow. It it's it's extraordinarily. It it's just one of those things that like again, Keith, you and I have had these things that have just been so oddly cosmic. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, like yeah, it, these connections where you just go, fuck, that can't be a coincidence, right? Like, <laughs> there's this someone is, writing this. This is very strange. This is like yeah. some cosmic. Yeah, man. Oh, wow. dude. No, see, let's just start. Let's just. This is how the podcast started. You know, like yeah. this. You what you guys both just said. This is what it's all about. Wow. Not about. Um, I will say, Tommy, speaking to your point, and I'm you know sorry for your father's loss, and I, you know, I, you know, it seems like the summer is the kind of time for me because my mom died May fifteenth, and uh, then like my dad. You know, it's his birthday. Then it's like Mother's Day and Father's Day. Then you know what I mean. Then it's like this: like I'm coming up on an anniversary when I quit doing drugs and all this stuff. You know, so it's such like a summer is like a weird time. You know, yeah, to have all these dates. You know, of like yeah. loss or whatever. Um, but just something you said about like this time in particular. Like I really firmly believe, even though we're living in such like unknown, uncertain, unprecedented times that we are going to look back at this time 
so fondly, you know? Oh yeah. Of like, no, 100%. of like, you know, like, yeah, like that was an amazing time <laughs> for growth. You know what I mean? Or for like as hell as it is for people, you know, like, Oh my God. It's like, I, I, you know, and are you guys still there? Sorry. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, we're here. Like I had the opportunity of touring Serbia once, you know, and like Serbia was a, was a very war torn country, you know, and like wow. some of the talking to some of the people after the show, they were like, they had kind of like, we're almost like, yeah, we kind of almost missed those times when it was like curfew and we had to like huddle together and like listen to records, you know, cause we couldn't wow, go outside yeah. because people, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's so weird to hear them like yeah they were, they were kind of nostalgic for this like war torn time when there was like a closeness you know yeah like we weren't so tranced out on like distraction you know i i actually i i think about this all uh, fairly often is that uh there's a a philosopher his guy's uh, his name's uh sam harris and he does a whole talk about like like death and he his whole thing is and this is uh, kind of a realization I came to about three or four years ago but like his entire point when he talks about death is he goes like look we know it's all coming like we know that at some point in time either you or someone close to you is going to die and the real tragedy of all of that situation isn't the death it's that we convince ourselves that it won't happen yeah yeah, we live our lives like it won't, and it's like, no, it will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you better be fucking well aware. Like this shit's happening. Well, but, and it goes back to like that's the only truth we have in life. For sure, that's it. You know, and we yes. and we don't choose when and how. That's the other problem. You know. Yeah, you just oh, yeah. never know, yeah, Tommy. Yeah. Your your dad didn't know that was happening. You guys didn't know it was happening to him. My brother didn't know that. He was going to go to sleep and just never wake up again. I yeah. didn't know I was going to find him. It was, it's just fucking, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's in it, the insanity of like some of these things that when we talk about stuff is, uh, and, and I want to go back to like the, the, uh, the thing I was talking about with, um, Lee Ving, the guy from his, well, his yeah. real name's Lee Caparello, the guy from fear. Um, he told me all these stories because he grew up with my father. Like mm. he knew my father in seventh and eighth grade. Like they were they they were friends all the way through high school. And he's telling me all these stories. And it's like, he's like, well, you know, didn't you know your dad was into cars? I'm like, no. Wow. <laughs> like, no, I didn't fucking know my dad was into cars. Like and he's like, oh yeah. And I'm like, my dad drove a fucking Chevy Citation. Like I don't fucking know. <laughs> wait, like, wait, like, Tommy, did like yeah. Did your dad know leaving was in fear? Or was he around for that? Yeah. Part? So uh, was your yeah, dad so, in New Wave Theater? No. <laughs> so my, so uh, my dad and Lee uh, shared a common backyard in suburban Philadelphia, and um, they went to the same swim club. And this is something I found out. Uh, and I hope I'm not blowing up links. No, he wouldn't care. Uh, Lee uh, was a very, very accomplished diver. Mm. Um, he dove for the swim team for uh, a, a couple different swim clubs, but when he was at Abington High School, he was the only freshman that made the um, swim team at varsity level when he was a freshman. And he actually had aspirations of going to Yale. And he was one of these guys that 
this was what he, he wanted to do. He wanted to be at Yale. So he actually took a year after high school when he graduated and went to a junior college in Massachusetts to get his grades up because his grades weren't high enough to get into Yale. And he was like, you know, I, I went to this school. I put off everything. I did everything I was supposed to do. Like I studied hard. I went to practice early. I left practice late. Like I did, I did the hard work. And he's like, and I applied to Yale and I got denied again. Mm. He's like, so it was just devastation. And he's like, but he's like, I remember sitting out with your father. He's like, we went to go, you know, do some dumb shit, like go play basketball at a park at two o'clock in the morning or something like that. He's like, but we were, you know, we were sitting there talking and what your father said to me was, you know, so what you really have done is you've given your best realized that this wasn't for you and have to figure out what are my next steps because giving up and doing whatever the fuck you want like you know whether it's turning to drugs or drinking or whatever it is like that can't be it like this can't be the end of your story so figure out what the fucking next chapter is Mm. and he's like literally your father and i you know in a park in the middle of willow grove he changed my life. Mm. And I'm like, wow. Oh, fucking a man. Like, you know, this is heavy. Uh. <laughs> it's fucking, you know, keep in mind, like I'm watching, I'm, I'm having this conversation with him at my, you know, like I'm sitting at my dinner table. Um, just like with him on speakerphone, just talking. And <laughs> like in the middle of it, my daughter walks in and goes, uh, dad, I need help setting up, uh, you know, that game. Sorry. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That game fucking blows. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking bad. Sorry is boring. So she, she goes, I need to help setting up sorry. And Lee, without skipping a beat, goes, yo, it's time to write that next chapter there, boss. Mm. So <laughs> yeah, go well, do it. And I'm like, fuck, man. So, wow. in a, so in a nutshell, your dad was responsible for fear. <laughs> <laughs> the bad. That's, that's it, it, serious cred, dude. Um, yeah, it's 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 very funny. Like when I mention it to other people, they're like, "You know how important that dude is." I'm like, uh, "Yeah, he seems like a really nice guy on the phone. He knows a decent amount of Latin. Like uh, he 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 sung Ave Maria for me one time uh, entirely in Latin. Like I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, well, I oh, wait real quick just because. Oh yes. Um, um, I'm sorry we're going on so long. You can edit the shit out of this. No, please um, go ahead. Who cares? Um, uh, a leaving. I I I. I'm like sad that his acting career didn't take off further because I just remember watching movies he was in. He was always like the menacing badass, yeah. you know, like yeah, villainy. Dude, he was, the, dude, he was the badass in Fame. Yeah, in Streets on Fire yeah. and like all these crazy eighty movies. But um, yeah. just real quick, like growing up Florida, the cultural void. You know, um, there was a show that like changed my life forever. More than like records, almost was the show uh, Night Flight. It was on U- the USA Channel late at night on the weekends, you know, and they would show all these like obscure movies and like obscure music videos and like just real USA up all night. That was the shit. Yeah. So this was night flights version of USA all night, which was just cracked me open, changed my life forever. Like everything I know about music and art was like from this specific USA up all night, night flight. But there was a show called new wave theater, um, which is guy, Peter Ivers, very interesting guy. Do your research on him got murdered whatever but he hosted and like you know bands like dead kennedys would play you know or and then fear played 
And like, so, you know, I'm this like kid in my parents' living room late at night, just <laughs> watching all these alien subversive music and programs, getting my mind absolutely blown, you know? Yeah. Um, and the guy interviews Lee Ving and Lee Ving says this thing. He's like, I know God and God is gay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you know, you got to understand this is like, you know, like late eighties house subversive, you know, like you never heard that coming out of the TV, you know, yeah. someone saying God is gay, you know? Like, it just was like, holy shit, he's going to get in so much trouble. I can't believe, it. you know what I mean? Like, I can't believe he said that. Yeah. yeah. Like, just, but he was always this, like, menacing, like, subversive guy, you know? That's it's awesome. so funny to and then hear the story of him going to Yale and being a swimmer or diver, whatever. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, so he didn't get into Yale. He actually ended up at Villanova. Villanova and he yeah. went to Villanova for three years and was on the, the diving team there. at And he left his junior year well after his junior year um to pursue music yeah wow yeah crazy yeah. well gentlemen we're we're way over time but Sorry. we had to be we had to be because that was some excellent on the spot yeah. discussion that we just had <laughs> i yeah. mean come on yeah this is what it's yeah. this is what it's all about yeah i mean tommy yeah. you gotta no. you gotta start us off next time man <laughs> yeah, I, I should probably start with the, you know, like, what's that uh that old news thing? Like, you bury the lead. You, you like, buried I, the I, fucking I lead, the... man. Now I'm super I bummed. <laughs> I want to erase everything I talked about my musical history and just start with you, man. And we could have No, just... man, this is the balance. Okay. The way that we like to do music and we like to talk, get, like, deep into life shit, too. <laughs> right. you, know, you know what I mean? All right. It's like, it's like the, the yin and the yang. Right. Yeah. Well, guys, congratulations on another day lived. Absolutely. We did it. We did it, man. Yeah. We yeah. did it. Yeah. Well, thanks thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks again, Brad, for being on. And to everybody who's listening, like, subscribe, review, comment, share, all that shit. It helps us out. And uh, we want more people to hear this. And who wouldn't want to? I mean, did you hear that? Did you hear what we just talked about? That was oh fuck- shit. The last thirty minutes was fucking phenomenal. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, le- I'm leaving this all in. I don't give a fuck if it's three hours. And let's, let's let's really kind of plug the like bring boredom back. Bring yeah. boredom back. Well, bring boredom back. Bring boredom back. The, the Northeast scene helping bring boredom back since 2019. <laughs> yes. Yes. I like that. That might be a tagline. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time.